You're listening to Jet Nation Radio, the official podcast of JetNation.com. The largest independent fan site in the NFL. Be sure to check out our forums and talk all things Jets with thousands of other diehard Jets fans. Now to get you up to date on all the latest Jets news, notes, and quotes, here are your hosts, Glenn Naughton, Dylan Terriman, and Alex Varallo. All right, good evening, Jets fans. I am Glenn Naughton. This is Jet Nation Radio. As you, uh, as you just heard, I am joined tonight by Alex Varallo and Dylan Terriman. So uh, we're gonna, we've had some issues of late. We had some blog talk issues last week, uh, which was unfortunate because Alex and I had uh, – Dylan wasn't able to join us. It was going to be Alex and I. Blog talk scrapped that. I couldn't do the following night. Alex did a solo show. Thanks for that, Alex. Um, but because of real life and work schedules and things like that, we haven't really done a full show, the three of us, in about a month. So it's a little bit crazy, uh, but I'm glad we're all here tonight. We will do, uh, we're going to, we're going to, Dylan and I are going to very quickly share our thoughts on free agency because we realize it is old news, but we would like to just pitch in our two cents on that. And um, how are we doing tonight, guys? Dylan, as you heard, Dylan is, is officially, officially official. Uh, we finally got him put into the intro. Uh, I've been working on that for a little while, unbeknownst to him. So uh, Alex, how are we doing? Dylan, how are we doing? I'm doing great. I was doing a little golf clap in the background, not to make too much noise for Dylan at coming to the intro. Um, great piece to the puzzle here with the trio that we got going on. Yeah, I can't stop smiling after hearing that. That was awesome. I, I appreciate the surprise. <laughs> and uh, March was a little hectic for me getting on, but I'm glad we can finally get in all three of us and start talking about what I think is my favorite part of the off season and that's our draft. It, it really is. We, we love the mocks. But you know what? I, I thought about this as I was doing this mock, um, thinking back to the last one, as much fun as they are. And we do, and I make this point every year, we try not to go overboard and do a million mocks like everyone else. Um, but I even feel like doing a pre-free agency mock is such a waste of time. I mean, you just I – mean, we even addressed it. When we did our last mock, I took – I don't think I took any offensive linemen, but, but I addressed it and said – I expect them to sign a couple of linemen in free agency. Of course they didn't. So, well, not any good ones. Um, so then, you know, so then you kind of, which is, but, but this one is more fun because now there's a little more sh- shape and structure to the roster and you can kind of, you know, build around what you know is in place. Um, and so we'll touch on free agency. We'll do the mock and then we'll be joined by Emery Hunt of football game plan. Um, if you're not following Emery on Twitter, you should be. Uh, I've actually enjoyed watching Emery over the years kind of grow his audience. Uh, I first started following him on Twitter a few years ago, and now he's sort of at the point he's doing some, some nationally televised games. You know, um, I've seen him be the, do some commentator work on a few networks. He hasn't worked up to the point where he's doing the, the big-time games, but he's gone from, you know, starting his own thing, which I'm a, I, just, I just love when the sort of organic people just go out and, and just grind and work their, work their butts off and end up in a good place, and Emery is on his way up. He's had some great draft takes in the past, and uh, one or two guys that – well, one or two that, that I'm, I'm looking forward to hearing him talk about. We, we reached out to him in advance, so he, we've given him a list of uh, sort of nine, three players each. 
um, some of our favorites from the draft. And I, I also asked him if, if he has the time, if he could throw us one or two names of sort of day three picks that what he's talking about, because we all love those sleepers. So getting into the free agency thing, let's, uh, let's, let's run through that quickly. The, uh, Free agency got underway. The big, you know, the big names, the big additions, Corey Davis and Carl Lawson. Um, Lawson was a guy, you know, we, we get impatient in that first hour of free agency when I haven't signed everyone. People start freaking out. I tend not to, although there is part of me that, like, you're just, you're just hitting refresh on that Twitter waiting for a signing. Um, when those first three or four pass rushers went off the board and Carl Lawson was still out there, I was like, listen, man, we're, we're, we're on the verge of not getting a, one of these pass rushers. And I kind of tweeted out, like, look, we haven't had a guy since John Abe. Lawson's out there. You got the money. Go get him. The Jets, now listen, career high five and a half sacks, right? He's not a guy who's gotten to the quarterback as much as you would like. Um, but the hope is that with playing on this defensive front, with the penetration Quentin Williams and John Franklin Myers get, you add this guy on the edge and uh, physical skill set he has, you hope he can start getting to the quarterback or at least command some attention that will allow the guys inside everybody, make everybody better. And I don't care who gets to the damn quarterback, just somebody get there. So love the signing of, uh, of Carl Lawson, Corey Davis. That one shocked me. Uh, if for nothing else, just the physical profile didn't fit what we've seen from the receivers in San Francisco, but an ascending player, his catch, uh, his catch percentage has gone up every single year. Put up, you know, I had people tell me, oh, it's, it's Robbie Anderson had better numbers. Yet Robbie Anderson had, a, had, you know, 150 or so more yards on something like 55 more targets. Um, you know, Tennessee run heavy offense. They throw to the tight ends a lot. So he just didn't see the targets. But if you, if you look at his numbers and extrapolate it and add those targets, he far exceeds what a guy like Robbie would have done. Physical guy, far more physical than Robbie. <clears throat> Um, and that, now I'll jump to you, Dylan. You, you touch on the – those are the two big signings. So let's get your thoughts on those guys real quick. Yeah, overall, I came out really happy with those two signings. I think Carl Lawson was the, the edge rusher that I had my eye on. He wasn't the number one or two guy, but he was in that three to four range where I thought they could get a really home run uh, signing with Carl Lawson. And I think that's exactly what they got to pair up with Quinn and JFM. And then Corey Davis, I like him. He's over the middle guy. He, if it wasn't for Corey Davis's signing, I mean, you kind of got to look at the offensive signings around him and you shake your head a little bit. So Corey Davis moves the needle a little bit offensively, but I mean, overall you have to be happy with the depth that he got as well. Um, Vinny Curry was one of my favorite ones, Justin Hardy on special teams. So there's a lot to like some head scratching moves like O-line and cornerback, but Overall, I think Joe Douglas has done a, a fine job with Robert Sala putting together a team through free agency. Yeah, I like the uh, the, the Jared Davis one is is intriguing because here's a guy you know who and I, I honestly I've watched like a game and a half of his. I haven't watched nearly enough film because I've been looking so much at the college guys. Um, but I went back and watched some of his work and his first couple years in the league, productive player. You know, and, and he, he gets a new head coach, and we see this mm-hmm. all the time in the league. Guys who play well in a particular system, and they either get traded because the new coach doesn't like the way they fit, or they just they see their playing time uh, go away. And that's what happens when, when Matt Patricia came in in Detroit. So Jared Davis, uh, you know, and, and this was a theme we saw, or at least with a few guys, uh, the Jets went after former 
highly coveted first-round picks. Uh, Davis was one of them, first-round pick of the Lions. And I think the Jets envision him, even though he played middle linebacker with the Lions, I think the Jets envision him as an outside linebacker. And, uh, you know, we'll see how that works out. But I think he could be a guy who surprises some people. And it's, it's been, you know, people look at what he did the last couple of years. He hasn't been very effective. But the two previous seasons, he was a really good player. Uh, Jets that yeah. went out, they signed I, I, Go ahead. Sorry, go ahead. Just jump in real quick and say that uh, you kind of got to look at it similar like Adam Gase players. Once uh, Matt Patricia leaves the system, how well can they do afterward? Because they're pretty much the same person, just offensively and one's defensive. So I think the post-Patricia boom for Davis could look more like his first two years in the league. Yeah, exactly. He he was a very productive guy. Uh, Looks like a really good blitzer. Uh, And again, is he a guy who's going to sort of blossom and I think that's what the Jets are banking on. Like, let's go get another first-round guy. So Davis was, he was, and, well, both Davises were. Uh, Justin Hardy was added, you know, uh, special teams guy. Probably won't see the field a whole lot other than his gun. And, I mean, you know, he looked damn good doing it uh, with the Saints and went back and looked at a few of his uh, few of his highlights. And the guy can the guy can move. He can get down the field. And, and he's, a, you know, he should be a core special team player. Keelan Cole was an interesting one. That was sort of. I mean, credit to the Jets. They have done a really good job since Joe Douglas arrived. Almost nothing leaks out of that building um, to the point where when it does, uh, I'm, I'm skeptical. Uh, and, and reporters are rarely right uh, when they say, oh, the Jets are going to do this, the Jets are going to do that. Uh, and it's, it's often guessing. But listen, Keelan Cole, productive guy, despite – I mean, he's been inconsistent, but his quarterback play hasn't been all that great. Uh, but what I did notice, and this is what I like um, – it's an underrated aspect. You know, some people even make fun of it because it really, and rightfully so. Like when you're drafting a receiver, you know, you want good hands, you want crisp routes, you want good, you know, you want guys who are quick in and out of their cuts, all that stuff. Blocking doesn't generally, you know, crack the top three, four, five things you look for in a receiver. But I'll tell you what, Davis, you look at Davis, you look at Denzel Mims going into year two, and you look at Cole, those three guys block. Like, you can find clips of them just leveling people. And I'm just thinking, you, you know, whoever's going to be playing running back for this team, if they can fix this interior and get even average O-line play, might see some big-time runs this year because that's where your big-time runs come from. You know, if, you're, if your receivers can block for you and everyone else up front does their job, that, that can be big things for the backs. So I'm, I'm going too long here. Dan Feeney, don't get it. Look terrible on film. Grades on PFF are terrible. Allowed more pressures than any center in the NFL. I really don't get it. I don't know what they see there. Um, Tyler Croft was added as a blocking tight end. We'll see if he even makes the roster. Um, and then the, this was another big one that kind of shocked everybody because it came from out of the left field. Sheldon Rankins, another former first-round pick, a guy who had eight and a half sacks a few years ago and then battled injuries, supposedly healthy. Listen, if this guy is healthy and you add him to this D-line, and C.J. Mosley comes back at 80% of what he used to be, I'll tell you what, man, that, that front seven will be could be top five in the NFL. Mm-hmm. I'm saying that right now. With, with Quinnen, with Franklin Myers, and with the additional loss, in, and if Rankins is healthy, this could be a top five front seven. Uh, and then Tevin Coleman didn't love it. You know, running backs, two million for a veteran. Like, I, I don't I, – I'm never going to get on board with the idea of a, a veteran mentor running back. 
Um, I've seen too many rookies walk into the league and just, you know, have phenomenal years from, you know, from day one without a mentor, uh, without anyone to guide them. So it is what it is. He knows the system. He knows the coaches. Hope it works out. But, um, you know, we'll see. So, Dylan, that, I've touched on all of them. You go ahead and uh, you run the gamut. Now, if there's, is there anyone you haven't commented on that you want to comment on? Go right ahead. Uh, mainly just Sheldon Rankins. I think that that's my biggest positive as far as the wave two of free agency. I think what he can do uh, in terms of interior pressure, and now you can kick Jonathan Franklin Myers to the outside. I think the the rotation there is quite honestly lethal. I think it can be definitely top 15 in the league, possibly even crack the top 10 like you were just saying. And then on the downside for me, I think Kevin Coleman. I mean, I was pounding the table for Jamal Williams, and the deals that they got weren't very uh, far off. So, I mean, if you're going to go with a veteran option to add to the running back room, I think just, you know, pay for the guy with more upside. But I understand the scheme fit. So, to me, he's a little bit of a negative. But, I mean, Keelan Cole and Tyler Croft are really good depth signings for what they do, a physical blocker, both of them. They fit into the scheme that they seem to be putting together pretty well. And then Vinny Curry – he, he's been consistent. I'll say that he's a little bit on the older side, but he's been consistent. And then you just got to love the heart that you're getting out of Justin Hardy. Uh, his press conference right in the beginning when he first signed was really uh, moving. I think what he brings to the team is what we've been looking for pretty much since Steve McClendon left, which is a leader that's going to give you his all on every single play. All right. So there you have it. Uh, like I said, I just wanted to take a little bit of time for that. And uh, we can get moving. We'll roll right into it because we've got Emery coming on. Uh, mock draft 2.0, folks. Uh, we did the first mock a month ago, pre-free agency. May not repeat that mistake next year. Uh, we'll see how it goes. The Jets, finally, we have a, a handle on how many picks they have. That was another issue at the previous uh, mock we did. There were multiple sites had multiple uh multiple different scenarios for the Jets and where they'd be picking. This time around, the Jets have nine picks. They are picking, I'll just run through it, 2nd, 23rd, 34th, 66th, 86th, 107th, 146th, 154th, and 186th. I wholly expect there to be some trades and for the Jets to add some picks. But for the purpose of this mock, we will not be doing that. We will be using the draft network. Um, so that we're not just, you know, doing these insane mocks where we just project, you know, five different top top two guys, you know, uh, falling to the sixth round and, and things like that. Um, so let's just get into it, guys. For, I'll, I'll kick it off. Pick one, uh, first round, pick two. Uh, no surprise here. I'm going Zach Wilson. I've not – I've never watched more of a prospect than I have with Zach Wilson because I just – I keep watching, waiting to see, trying to find a hole in his game. Um, I've I've watched him against small schools. I've he, he's only played a few big schools. You look at and, and you know part of the thing with him is everyone oh one year wonder, one year wonder, one year. He's a one year wonder in that he had a monster year this past year. But if you go back to his freshman season before he injured his shoulder, threw twelve touchdowns, three or four interceptions. wasn't you know wasn't a monster year, but he played damn well. Uh, I believe he, I believe that was you might have been year two, but I uh, beat Tennessee. He beat USC, so he, you know you, you can't fault the guy because he's not playing. You know the, his schedule is what it is. All he can do is show up and play. 
He showed up and he beat USC. He showed up and he beat Tennessee in Tennessee in a full stadium, 100,000 people. And, he, you know, drove it. He had the ball inside his own 10-yard line with less than, less than a minute to go, drove down the field for a game-tying field goal. And then in the ensuing uh, first drive in overtime, he, you know, rips a touchdown pass in to win the game, and that's that. So the guy, he can run. He can make every single throw. And I, I, I have to tell you, I watched so much of him this week. I got to the point where I was like, some of this, he was making really impressive throws that I was looking at and thinking, well, that's not a really big deal because I've just watched him make 15 throws that were better than that. So I'm watching him make throws that if it was any other quarterback, I'm saying, wow. But when I grade it on a scale of his other throws, it's not that impressive. Um, I've lost count of the number of times I've seen him throw the football and put it right in a spot where the defender cannot get a hand on it and his guy makes a big catch. And he does it at every single level of the field. Number one quarterback in the country in deep accuracy this year. Number one quarterback in the country in completion percentage. And per PFF, the number one quarterback since their highest graded quarterback since 2018 on tight window throws. So I'm sold on him. And it doesn't mean Justin Fields can't make these throws. I just haven't seen Justin Fields. You know, we talked about this uh, uh, on Twitter earlier, Dylan. I went back and watched the, the Sugar Bowl against Clemson thinking I would see, you know, five or six really good tight window throws from, uh, from Fields. I saw two, and one of them was the mm-hmm. case of a DB not putting his hand up. Um, if the guy put his hand in it, it wasn't a ball where you look at it and go, oh, wow, the defender couldn't get to that. No, the defender was just late getting his hand up. Um, whereas with Wilson, it's just the defenders are getting their hands up. They're just, they're, their, hands and, their hands and arms aren't long enough because he's putting it in spots where only his guy can get it. And it, if, if I saw him do it a few times, I'd say it was lucky. I mean, the number of throws I've seen and thought, if I didn't know any better, I'd say that was a fluke and that was a lucky throw. But when you see him do it the 15th, 16th, 17th time, it's like, you know what, I, I think he knows what he's doing with the football. So he's my number one. Uh, what do you got, Alex? You're up next. Okay. Uh, so here we go. To start it off, Mach 2. Um Obviously, sticking with the theme of quarterback here, um, you know, obviously uh, time will tell whether or not it's Sam Darnold's in our future or not. He's our quarterback today, yeah. but all signs are looking like he's probably not going to be the guy. So uh, with my selection here, I'm going with Justin Fields. Uh, you know, I agree a lot of things that you, that you say, Glenn, and, and, you know, for the listeners out there, we're going to be doing some draft-related shows in April. Um, some of them are we're going to be reviewing – the top positional needs for the Jets and, you know, each of us are going to give our top three guys and we're going to have a segment with our guys, air quoting on, you know, who we pound the table for and things like that. So um, I can't wait till we get to that point of, of uh, you know, our timeline with our shows here uh, because, you know, the trend right now on Twitter, social media and everything is who are the Jets going to take and everyone seems to be choosing their sides right now. And, it makes for good, you know, sports debates. And, you know, some people already have things set in stone, you know, we're a month away. Let's just give it time. You know, I'm continuing to watch film and, and, and do things like that. I still haven't finished my full deep dive on these, on the three quarterbacks that we feel um, might be the, the selection at number two. But right now, you know, I'm going with Justin Fields. Um, I like the body of work. Uh, I think he's a great athlete. Uh, I think that something that he has that, you know, uh, people talk about, um, 
you know, Nicole Correct. Um, you know, when I saw Justin Fields near the end of the season, you know, taking that devastating hit to the ribs and, and you know, picking himself off the ground and continuing to play and not only just finishing the game, but coming back and, and playing at a high level too. Um, lots to like with Justin Fields. I think he's dynamic as a runner, and I think that he's got a rocket laser arm. Um, really impressed on, you know, the way he can stretch the um, And, you know, with the RPO and, and, and being the dual threat runner, uh, really, really keeps defense defensive teams on their toes because you just never know when the guy's going to tuck it and run because um, you do have to prepare for that aspect for him as well. So mailing in my pick, Justin Fields at number two to kickstart Robert Sala and the new Jet there. Dylan, what do you got? All right. What do you got, Dylan? Yep, I'm going to I'm gonna follow up on that one. Not to say that I dislike Zach Wilson. I think a lot of things that Glenn was pointing out are absolutely true. He can make the the extraordinary look average, if you so to speak. I think the things that he does are exceptional. Um, but since the Jets beat the Rams, my guy has been Justin Fields, and I'm going to stick with it. Um, he had his pro day today. He looked fine. I think the most important thing about that was <clears throat> that he ran a 4 4 um, Joe Douglas, Rex Hogan, Mike LaFleur were all in attendance. People say, oh, Saul wasn't there. It doesn't matter. He's expecting the birth of his child, so I, I don't think he made the trip for that reason. Um, Justin Fields does everything that you want out of a quarterback. He's pinpoint accurate. He can also use his legs to escape and maneuver in the pocket. Um, I, I also like the style of offense that he can project for the team. Not saying that Zach Wilson is in a lesser offense, but I think the dynamic of it with the run and pass opens up a lot more with Justin Fields. So I'm going to continue to pound the table on my guy, Justin Fields, and uh, select him number two overall. Yeah, interesting thing on Fields. And, uh, you know, so we, we hear these hot takes around draft time where some of them are just absurd. Um, and I saw one the other day that I just, I just can't get my head around it. And I, I, but the guy is a million years old, so it's not like he's out there to get Twitter followers. But uh, uh, former former executive and current uh, uh, with Sirius XM analyst um, Gil Brandt. Did you guys see the tweet he shot out about Fields? Oh, oh, yes, uh, about him being all over the map as far as uh, draft boards potentially being a fourth round draft pick in some teams' yeah. minds. He said he spoke yeah. to some teams who have him graded anywhere from a first-round pick to a fourth-round pick, which sounds insane to me. Like, I look at, That's you know, nice. Chris Sims was knocking him. Well, not knocking him. Just he was evaluating him. He had Zach Wilson ahead of him. Uh, said he said his accuracy is good but inconsistent. Um, mm-hmm. and, and I will say that's one thing, that, that's one thing that, that's hurting my evaluation of him a little bit. I don't know why. But may, and I don't know if it's any different in the U.S. But when I go on YouTube over here to watch full games, I can literally find one full game, and it's the Sugar Bowl, and every other game is condensed, so it's just the highlights. So yep. I'm only seeing just the, the very back. best of Justin Fields. I'm like I'm not yep. seeing any. You know, I'm I am seeing it. Well, in the Sugar Bowl, I saw him overthrow some wide open guys, but it was just it, it's a little frustrating. So I'm like I basically have Zach Wilson full games and Justin Fields highlight reels. Um, and and so it it makes it a little bit tougher. I mean, I'm going to keep looking. But anyway, yeah, oh, I, I got that, uh, some, some winners for you, Glenn. Um, I, I've come across some some golden nuggets as far as YouTube subscribers that condense uh, full games. 
So uh, I yeah, will definitely well, be sharing that with I, both I, you guys. I never usually have a hard time finding them. It's this. This is just like this. Yeah. Is literally, the first player mm-hmm. that is like a high-profile, big school. It's nuts. But uh, all right, so let's let's keep things chugging along. Uh, pick twenty-three in the first round. Uh, the next biggest need on the team, as far as I'm concerned, is at corner. And I am going with. And originally, I think I would have gone edge here, but now that you've added a couple of guys up front, you've added Rankins and Lawson. That's not as much of a pressing need. So I am going Greg Newsom. He's one of my guys at corner out of Northwestern. Ran a blazing 40, but let's face it, um, all these home field 40s, everybody's running a 3-5. It's ridiculous. But uh, I'm going with Greg Newsom at uh, corner for Northwestern <laughs> with the 23rd pick. It is a definite need for this team. And uh, if they add a, a, you know, a legit corner or two, I think that, that just uh, – we talked about the front seven, how good they can be at a solid corner and you're that much better. Who you got, Alex? Okay, so uh, my my selection here, pick number 23, the, the last pick of our first round, uh, is also a Greg, uh, but he goes by Gregory Rosse. Um, this is an edge defender that played out of Florida um, last year out of Miami. Uh, well, actually, I shouldn't say last year because he did opt out in 2020, um, as many uh, people did. Um, now, you know, I did this mock a little while back, you know, before some of the free agent picks were coming on, and I stuck with it. I was on the fence. I was thinking about going a line here. Um, I just think that, you know, uh, what's his name? Uh, what's his name? Joe Douglas is, is not done yet uh, putting together um, this offensive lineup, and uh, I think that he's probably got something in store for us before draft day comes. Um, otherwise, you know, if we feel content with what we have defensively, I have no problem plugging in like a Creed Humphrey here. But at the end of the day, uh, the Jets have addressed getting a pass rusher in Carl Lawson, which we've talked about at length. And I don't think one guy is going to be enough to get the job done. Why not have two people coming off the both corners that can do the same thing and put pressure on the quarterback. So let's send the pick in. Let's bolster up this Robert Sala defense and go hunting for some QBs. All right, Alex. I mean, and like I said, I didn't go edge there, but it's one of those things. I'd have no issue going edge. Um, Rousseau, I think Rousseau, the thing, he, he, he retired and unretired, didn't he? That worried me a little bit about him. No, that was Jalen Phillips. Oh, that was that's Phillips right. Rousseau and Alex, Rousseau is the guy who took the year off. That, they, had, yeah, they, had one, they had one guy who opted mm-hmm. out, and Jalen Phillips is the guy who retired due to injury and came back. All right, go ahead, Al, uh, Dylan. Yep. What do you got? Uh, I almost wish there was a third Greg with a first-round grade that I could take to finish that one up three for three. But uh, TDN has um, a specific cornerback falling, and the Jets, we saw them take a cornerback from a Virginia school that had an injury last year in Bryce Hall. So I'm going to go ahead and take advantage of TDN simulator, and I'm going to go ahead and take Caleb Farley, cornerback from Virginia Tech. He has the back injury, which is a concern. I believe it's a microdisectomy. I'm not a doctor, but I believe that's what it's called. And no one really knows the timeline on his injury. Um, some say he slipped out of the first round. Some believe he's still a top 20 to 25 pick. So I think if he's there at, at 23, the Jets need to take him. He was clocked at uh, two, in 2019 because he opted out due to COVID in 2020. He was clocked at 24.16 miles per hour in a game. So that's faster than anything next-gen stats has recorded since they started doing it in the NFL level. There's is roughly 22 point something. 
So the, the sheer speed and athleticism alone, if the medical checks out and they do their due diligence on him, absolutely it's a steal at 23. So Caleb Farley is my pick. All right. So we all go offense with our first pick and defense with our second pick. Um, two of us go corner and Alex goes edge. So with the first pick, with the Jets' first pick in the second round, it's time to address that offensive line, and I'm going to go ahead and take Creed Humphrey, center out of Oklahoma. The guy is an absolute beast, uh, stays on the field, and just flat out dominates, doesn't let anybody get near his quarterback, and I think that would be a welcome addition. And, uh, you know, the Jets need to, need to build up that offensive line around whoever they have at quarterback next year. How about you, Alex? Who you got? I just put your getting the tweet ready for Mr. Humphrey. Um, gotcha. All right. So let me go ahead and, and just make sure I got this one right. Multitasking is not my best thing to do after five o'clock. Um, usually that's <laughs> for my day job. Okay. So with the second uh, round selection that I have here, the Jets are going to take a flyer on one of the more electric players in this draft. Uh, Comps are all over the place. People have their concerns about his size and, you know, certain abilities that he has. But for me, I think it's an absolute slam dunk in Rondell Moore, wide receiver out of Purdue. What I love about this young man is what he lacks in size and stature. He makes up with heart, competitiveness, and just tenacious football play. Uh, this guy dealt with some injuries over the last couple of years. Um, but I think that he's come through them. Those are a part of his past now. And moving forward, I think that if the Jets do take him here, um, he's a perfect piece to the offensive puzzle as far as getting somebody that you can just find ways and craft ways to get him in space. What he does after the catch is phenomenal. And like I said, don't be surprised by the measurements with this guy. Um, I believe he's around – Geez, I think it was 5'9", according to the roster, but then I think he came in at 5'7", maybe 5'8", um, for his pro Yeah, game. he came in at 5'7". Uh, right, so, you know, that, that's my height. So he, he's what I would envision myself as an NFL athlete, I would hope. Not really, but, um, you know, this kid <laughs> squatted 600 pounds. And, you know, that's got to that's gotta add for something. Um, the fact that someone that small at, you know, at 180 pounds is putting up almost three times his weight, I mean, you know, there's only freaks of nature can do things like that. And, you know, if you go and you watch some of the earlier tape from 2018 and 2019 on Rondell Moore, I think you'll be more than impressed with what he's done. And I think that he would be a dynamic weapon um, in this offense moving forward. All right. Sounds good. I'm listening. Electric player. I, I, he was one of the first players I watched in this year's class. And, yeah, what I think they called him a video game or something like that. He, he is a guy who just makes people miss. Electric player. And listen, you add him to any offense, and the the expectation is he's gonna he's gonna give you a guy that defenses are gonna have to game plan for. Uh, getting him in round two, fantastic. Dylan, who do you got? Yeah, uh, I went uh, offensive line as well, but I did not go interior offensive line. I went on the outside, and I took Dylan Radden's offensive tackle from North Dakota State. He came in at three uh, six five and a half. 305 pounds. He's a physical player, another opt-out from 2020. My projection for him in this offense is he is the solution post-Fant. I think that he could be a great swing tackle for 2021 in case Becton or Fant misses time. We saw Becton check out of how many games last season due to minor injuries. And I think Radden is a physical player who could step in and just start 
basically seamless if you if you're replacing Fant. So for me, I, I kind of ignored interior offensive line again, but I think the the tackle class now looks really good with Becton, Raidens, and now uh, Fant as your swing. How do you uh, write? How do you spell his last name there, Radden, uh, Dylan? R A D U N Z, right? D U N Z. Yep. Okay. I went to go Google it. I saw two different spellings come up. Got to got to be correct when we come to do these things, otherwise Twitter will correct you. So yeah, put in the pick, send it in. I remember last. Uh, I remember. Was it earlier this year? I believe uh, Daniel Jeremiah had him at, uh, at one point as being a first-round pick. And you know how that goes, guys. Just uh, mm-hmm. it, it, that doesn't always happen. But, he, I mean, he's a highly thought-up uh, prospect. Um, again, yeah. moving things and, along. I think it was more of a case of other tackles playing better than him playing bad. I just think more people right. came around to other offensive tackles in the class, and it kind right. of unfortunately bumped him down. But, hey, if the Jets can get him at 34, that's awesome to me. Well, that, that's similar to what we said with Mach 1 with Paul Tonadebo, right? He's a guy very highly rated. Exactly. And uh, – some other guys came in and played really well, and it bumped him down a little. So uh, uh, round three, pick number sixty-six. I'm gonna. This is where I'm gonna go for an edge guy, but a guy who can play a, in a few different spots. And I, this is one of those picks. Um, and I am gonna. I am gonna start wrapping these up quicker. But this one, every now and then, I make a pick on TDN where I'm like, this is just ridiculous because I know this guy isn't gonna be here on draft day. Like TDN might have him there, but I have him going right, yeah. in real life, being a mid-second rounder. Uh, but I'm going Carlos Basham, edge from Wake Forest. Uh, bigger guy, comes in at 280, but he can play a little bit inside, a little bit outside. Uh, great motor, not as productive this year as he was the previous season, but I think to get him in that spot would be great value. And again, um, let's, don't get mad at me because I'm taking the guy in the third round who won't be there in real life. I'm going for what you know uh, what was on the board, and that's, that's what I'm doing. Carlos Basham at 66. What do you got, Alex? Okay, so here um, I'm finally going to address the cornerback position, and I'm going to go for Stanford's uh, Paulson Adebo. Uh, What I really liked about uh, Adebo's tape um, was the versatility that he brings at the cornerback position. You know, some guys get locked into certain things where, you know, he's best in man or he's best in zone or, you know, you, you really have to have, you know, strong guys up front or good, you know, quality safeties in the back line to mask some of uh, their deficiencies. What I saw um, and, you know, through my research is that not only is this guy um, a playmaker who, you know, ended up with 27 pass deflections and eight interceptions throughout his career, um, but he's not afraid to come up to the line of scrimmage and and stick somebody in the mouth. Um, So he's got, you know, good run support uh, qualities. I also felt that, you know, his versatility – goes as far as, you know, being able to play in a cover three, um, being able to, you know, be in a zone-heavy scheme, or if you're going to be in a cover two man or, you know, a man-to-man trap kind of thing. Um, he, he brings so much to the table that, you know, he's a defensive coordinator's dream because um, no matter what you want to do, um, you know, he's got experience or he's comfortable doing that as such. Um, you're not limited with the way you're going to be putting him out there. And, you know, from my research with Salah's defense, he likes to mask his coverage you know, showing a single high safety and then what they call rocking and rolling their safeties into a cover two, um, you know, then that, you know, changes the whole dynamic for, for the quarterback and the offensive line that are trying to determine the play. So you need corners that are able to switch from, you know, cover three to cover two to cover, you know, man coverage 
And I feel that, you know, Paulson is absolutely the guy that um, can play in all aspects of, uh, you know, a defensive coordinator's, uh, you know, scheme. All right. Funny enough, the guy that I just mentioned. So, uh, he again, yep. one of my favorite guys going back to two years ago when I first saw him play. So uh, getting him in that spot would be fill a need with a highly rated player. Always a welcome uh, outcome. Uh, Dylan, what do you got? Yeah, at pick 66 in the third round, I um, found myself in a similar situation as you, Glenn, where you had a player that you knew was not going to be there. I went the opposite way. I was a little bit more true to what I thought the board would look like, and it was Jameen Davis from Kentucky, the linebacker, sitting up against Jabril Cox, the linebacker from LSU. And I knew there was no way Jameen Davis was going to be at 66, so I went and I took Jameen for that reason. Okay, you went with Cox. Yeah, so after they missed out on Keanu Neal, uh, yeah, they pivoted and signed Delshawn Phillips, but I don't think that's going to stick. So I think Jabril Cox can come in and play the will. He's an every-down linebacker, and he could be the contingency plan for C.J. Mosley down the line if he's, you know, cut-traded after the 2021 season. I think he could slide over and play Mike. Not 100% certain, but I know for a fact he can play the will. So for me, Cox is a a plug-and-play day-one starter at linebacker, and Saul is going to use him and get get a lot out of him, I think. All right. Sorry, guys. My my dog was having a barking fit, so I muted myself. Uh, Dylan, what was your pick? That's all right. It was Jabril Cox, the linebacker from LSU. Got it. All right. Pick is in. All right. Uh, Moving things along, we'll keep this one short and sweet. I'm going to the offensive line again. Uh, As you said, Dylan, I have a a contingency plan in place for when George Fant is gone. Fant is one of those guys, nice player, but he's not a long-term solution. Um, I'm going with Spencer Brown out of Northern Iowa. Honestly, only started watching mm-hmm. him about a week ago when I was I spent the day just watching some of the guys who were at the Senior Bowl who I didn't catch the first time around. Uh, looked really good in some of his one-on-ones and uh, went back and watched him. And the guy, he plays with a mean streak, nasty attitude, uh, really physical, aggressive guy, held his own against some of the bigger school players. So maybe developmental guy, but a guy that I look at and think, as far as I'm concerned, the only spot on the O-line that I'm really genuinely worried about is right guard at the moment. Um, I probably have more faith in Cam Clark than most people, and I, I understand that. Um, I've had people tell me I'm nuts because he hasn't played a single snap, and I get that. But uh, I, I guess I'm just I'm, – I'm guessing that the Jets are expecting him to step up and have a chance to steal a spot this year. So as far as I'm concerned, the only spot that's really, really unsettled is right guard. And I think Spencer Brown can become your right tackle of the future, and he can step in and play right guard this season. Alex? Okay, so it looks like you and I are kind of on the same theme here. It is time to go back to the trenches and address uh, the offensive line. And where I went is I selected Josh Myers out of uh, Ohio State. Uh, He was the center for Justin Fields, so if you guys see a little bit of a theme here, um, getting somebody that he's familiar, that he's already worked with. Now, I know, you know, we already have Connor McGovern. What are you thinking? Are we going to slide him over? No, I'm not looking to make any drastic changes. Connor McGovern's still the guy. Um, I just think that you bring this guy in, he would more than likely be able to give you, you know, pinch start if something happened at the guard position. In the event something happened to McGovern, he could come in, you know, Fields would be familiar with him in this scenario, 
And I think that next year when we have the opt-out option for McGovern, if that's the route we want to go, you have your future center in place already in Josh Myers. So it's a piece, you know, for depth, and it's also something looking toward the future. You know, you often hear um, championships are won in round three. They're not all home runs, but a guy like this, you get a viable starter out of for with, you know, potential down the future line. So um, easy pick for me, maybe not loved by, by others. All right. Again, um, I, I said last year, guys, I don't know, uh, whatever my mock was in the, the day before the draft or the days before the draft, I completely changed. I don't know if you remember me saying it. Probably not. It wasn't that big of a deal, but I feel this. I'm thinking that way now. Once they picked Becton, I went O-line crazy, and I was like, you know, had as I said then, I had flashbacks to Mangold and Brick and Fanica and these guys that dominated up front. And once they had Becton, I was like, I want, I want two or three more linemen. Um, and we ended up, you know, again, you got Cam Clark. But, yeah, I, I think another two offensive linemen this year, hell, three if you want, is, is absolutely, you know, the way to go. So um, I, I love the idea of going O-line. I think most fans do at this point. Um, and we've all, we've all taken O-linemen early on here. Um, Alex, or sorry, Dylan, what do you got? Uh, yeah, before I get to my pick real quick, I just wanted to note about Spencer Brown. That man is six eight and a half and ran a four eight eight forty. Um, yeah. I don't care if the pro day is a little bit lenient. That is uh, extraordinary for a man of that That's size. That's crazy. So good That's pick crazy. there, Glenn. <laughs> um, yeah, that, I, I did. Eighty-eighth overall pick. Oops, sorry. No, that no. Go ahead. You're good. No, uh, so for my 86th pick, I went on the offensive side, but I took a weapon for the new quarterback. In this case, it would be Fields for me. And I took Amon Ross St. Brown, the wide receiver from USC. Uh, he's 5'11", 197, ran a 4.51. He's compact. His father's a bodybuilder, and the tape shows up with his physic- physicality. So I think he slides right into this uh, scheme that they're building here in New York with all the physical wide receivers on the perimeter. And he's obviously the contingency plan for Jamison Crowder. I don't expect them to uh, extend his contract or keep him into the 2022 season unless he has a phenomenal year. So I think Amon Ra would slide in really well as a slot receiver for the future. All right. More offensive weapons. I like it. Um, you know, who, we saw what happened with Sam, fellas. They, whoever the quarterback is, they can't screw it up this time. You know, we, we saw it work out in Buffalo with the Bills because they did it the right way. Jets need to do the same thing. And I'm adding another piece on offense here. And as far as I'm concerned, any draft, any Jets mock draft that does not include Memphis running back Kenneth Gainwell is null and void. My favorite player in this <laughs> class. Uh, can do it all, runs inside, runs outside. You've heard me mention him a million times, lines up in the slot, lines up at receiver. His head coach said that he was the best player on the team as a running back, and if they moved him full-time to wide receiver, he'd still be the best player on the team. Give me an explosive player with that kind of legitimate versatility. I don't like when they say a guy is versatile. This guy played everywhere, and you look at his snap counts, and it's a running back who lined up in the slot like three times. It's like, okay. He lined up in the slot every 250th snap. To me, that's not really versatility. That's just, uh, you know, they, they didn't have someone else to stand there at that point. This guy, legitimate weapon, inside, outside, in the backfield, in the slot. Give me some Kenneth Gaines. And if you take him earlier, I'm fine with that. Um, honestly, I'd probably take him in, you know, in, in the third round a little bit higher or even, 
you know, depending on where, where teams have him ranked, and you guys know how I feel about taking running backs early, um, if you're going to take one early, it better be a guy who can legitimately be a threat at receiver as well. Gainwell fits that description. Who do you got, Alex? Okay. Um, so I'm, you know, it's funny. We must, been hang- we must be hanging out too much, Glenn. Um, a lot of our picks have been somewhat on the same team. I'm also going into the running back uh, well here, and I'm going to select Trey Sermon. Uh, what are the probability that you, you have guys in alignment from center quarterback to running back as your three selections. There's probably some sort of crazy Vegas odd on that. You know, I'm a gambling man, uh, but I'm also a simple man. Um, I like Trey Sermon, good power and speed combo. I'm going to be short and sweet on this one. Uh, He's got a few crazy games with 250 yards, 300 yards rushing. I'm sure you can go find him on my Twitter account today. Um, So sending in the pick for future RB1 Trey Sermon. All right, uh, more Alex, offense. This, uh, New York Buckeyes uh, thing you got going on there, Alex. Oh, yeah. Yeah, New York Buckeyes. Exactly. <laughs> All right, so at pick 107, everybody can take a deep breath because I'm finally going interior offensive line with Robert Hainsey from Notre Dame. He's listed on TDN as an offensive tackle, but I watched the Senior Bowl and I pulled up a Jim Nagy tweet with a video of Hainsey playing center. And the last sentence of his tweet says, two-time captain Robert Hainsey projected at right tackle guard going into Mobile, but looks like a natural center and now has high desirable four-position versatility. He will be a 10-year pro. So I think if Jim Nagy's saying that, I think at 107, that's a great place for him to go. He will most likely start over Lewis or Greg Van Roten if you give him the chance. At worst, he's probably going to be a top swing guard in the league. So I think Robert Hainsey is a great pick at 107. All right. More depth along the offensive line. I'll take it. Um, In this draft, because the Jets added two receivers in free agency, um, that's the reason I've waited this long to address receiver. I think that prior to, to signing a couple of guys, my mindset was go out and draft two or three of them because you need them. And, you know, you need some competition at that spot. Because listen, teams nowadays, it's not uncommon to carry seven receivers, six, seven receivers, and the Jets don't really have six or seven guys that you can say are locks to make this roster, um, at least before free agency started. Now you've got sort of five guys, you know, and, and you look at a guy like Berrios and his punt return ability is probably going to be back. But uh, the, the, the basically the open roster spots at receiver are dwindling. In this spot, I went with Auburn's Seth Williams, uh, physical guy, I actually, you know, I like Schwartz, who played on the other side. I was trying to decide between those two guys, and I ended up settling on Seth Williams in the fifth round at 146. Who do you got, Alex? Okay, so I'm going into the defensive backfield here. Going to bring a little bit of a thumper uh, out of Missouri here. Calling in Joshua Bledsoe, um, intense run support guy, very good at covering the tight end. Sometimes get swallowed up in the box, um, which happens with, you know, safeties that are biting off and chew. I think early on he'll be in, you know, sub packages, dime packages, maybe coming in as a nickel safety, um, and, you know, has got plenty of experience covering out in the slot. So, you know, with the theme of not having a lot of uh, big featured names at the defensive back position being brought in this, this offseason, 
Um, the Jets go to the draft to try to get some, you know, future gems to round out Robert Sala's uh, defensive back room. All right, Dylan, you're up. All right, I go back to back Notre Dame players, and at 146, I select Galen Hayes, the edge from Notre Dame. He's 6'3", 260, another guy that had a solid senior bowl. He's a stand-up rusher. He, he blitzes the gaps as well. I think he can be uh, the day one Sam linebacker. I found the Will linebacker in Jabril Cox earlier, so here's the Sam linebacker. Put those two guys around C.J. Mosley or Jared Davis, either one, and I think those three linebackers can, uh, can produce for you. And that was Jay Hayes, you said? Uh, Awen Hayes. D-A-E-L-I-N. And you really tested my, uh, my spelling uh, capability here tonight, Mr. Dillon. <laughs> uh, so that takes us into our second selection into round five. Uh, going, going back to you, Glenn. Yep. Uh, uh, this is sort of a a guy that I I haven't really heard much about. Um, another player that I picked up on a couple weeks ago and and liked what I saw from what I liked liked what I saw from what I watched. Uh, versatile guy, Derek Barnes, linebacker out of Purdue. Played a little bit inside, played a little bit outside. Um, I'm not a hundred percent sold uh, that CJ Mosley is going to be around for the next several years because of his price tag. So I think if the Jets get the opportunity to move on sometime in the next 24 months or so, they're going to want someone to fill that spot. And I like Barnes in that role. And again, he's that sort of type of guy probably plays some specials for you. Uh, as a rookie and, and work his way into a rotation. And and I think he has the ability to eventually be a starter. And one more time with that name, Glenn. Sorry, Derek Barnes. Derek Barnes. Got it. Out of Purdue, yeah. Out of Purdue. Yep. It in. Okay, so my next pick here um, – so we had two six-round picks, not two five-round picks. Had that mixed up. So sticking to my second, fifth-round pick here, um, I'm also going to be going over uh, to the Notre Dame. Oh, I'm sorry, no, I think he's with Michigan. Um, Nick Eubanks, tight end. Yep. Um, confirmed mm-hmm. out of Michigan. Um, not really going to be too impressed by his stat line. Um, but if you go and you watch what he does on the field, um, you'll see that he is quite a good blocker. Um, he is useful as a receiver, um, but last year, a little bit of a uh, odd season, you know, being COVID and things like that, not a lot of games, not a lot of tape to look into. Um, and I think he only had like 10 receptions on uh, out of the four or five games that Michigan played. So, again, a lot of room to be desired, but uh, like we talked about, I think Griffin is on his way out. And um, you're going to need, you know, young, fresh tight ends to start anew for LaFleur's offense. Um, so send in Nick Eubanks as another blocker um, and a possible number three uh, potential on the depth chart for our tight end group. All right, Dylan, you're up. Yep, at 150, the Jets actually virtually met with a running back from Louisville, and that's Javion Hawkins. In my notes, I wrote he's an explosive athlete, and he has home run speed. He needs to clean up his blocking a little bit, but he has versatility in the run and pass game as well as special teams. So I think I like what he brings to the running back group. He he would be probably the most explosive guy next to maybe Ty Johnson from day one. So good addition there at 154. Yeah, he's a guy, honestly, 
Um, I almost took along with Gainwell, um, but they're just too similar to grab both of them. Um, right. If I was yep. going to grab someone like Gainwell, I might grab Felton, um, but he's coming off the board too early because Felton mm-hmm. can legitimately line up at wide out as well. You can just kind of move those guys around. But Hawkins, I actually I tweeted about him sort of a couple months ago, just a couple of highlight runs where the guy, his ability to stop and change direction on a dime um, and that and that great speed, he yeah. he's, has the ability to be a really good player. Mm-hmm. All right, All right that Alex. brings us to you again with the sixth round. Oh, that's right. I am up. All I right. think it's over okay. to you, Glenn. Yep. Six it is. Yep. It is. All right. Um, and I'm closing it out, and I'm going with another running Number back. Like I said, almost almost went Hawkins, but too similar to Gainwell. Uh, and I took this guy last time around, and I said it then, and I'll say it now. Just the sheer value pick, Chris Evans out of Michigan. A lot of it is going to depend. Uh, again, I'll, I'll repeat it for those who didn't hear it last time. This is all depending on, on his, his level of maturity. He did have some issues at Michigan. He did lose some time for disciplinary stuff. Uh, I suspect that played into the why Jim Harbaugh used him so little in his final year. I think he had like 14 carries. But if you go back to Chris Evans' first year or two at Michigan, um, my first thought looking at him was he looks to me like a starting running back. Like you know, I don't, and actually that's that's funny because that's a note I meant to say this at the beginning. But I'll throw this in real quick after I uh, just say that Evans, to me, looks like a starting-type guy. Um, and, and what I meant to say at the top, because I, I have this thought every year and I don't always, I don't always voice it, um, as much fun as these are and as, as great as these can be, and sometimes we hit and sometimes we miss, um, I, I, look at the, I look at the Jets draft history and I look at, and you guys may have seen, I tweeted this out the other day, if, if you look at the Jets draft history, from 1997 to 1999, Bill Parcells, one of the most respected coaches in the history of the NFL, a Hall of Fame head coach, for that three-year stretch, drafted 31 players, and almost every single one of them sucked. I think, I think he found wow. five or six. I think he found five or six players out of 31, um, and one wow. of them, for those for those who remember. Um, was Jason Ferguson, defensive tackle out of Georgia, and he was actually a really good player, like a highly thought of guy, um, but he tested positive for pot, and he fell to the seventh round. So it was almost kind of like a no-brainer. Like I think he had like a sort of third-round grade and fell to round seven, so Parcells snagged him. Um, so that was one of his hits. But, yeah, I'm like, if Bill Parcells can go five for 31, and he's a Hall of right. Fame coach, Look at Bill Belichick. Look at the Patriots just had to do what bad teams have to do, and he had to spend a bunch of money because he hasn't drafted anyone who can play. So Belichick can't find a player and Parcells can't find a player. Uh, I don't feel so bad if I miss on these, you know. It's it. I mean, some of these I just I'm I'm like I really do think I really think every one of these guys is just guessing, like they're literally just guessing, and uh, they guess right or they guess wrong, but. Sorry, didn't mean to go on that tangent, but uh, I might I say agree. that at the top. Uh, can I just can I just keep it off the rails for one more second? Go um, right you, ahead. You bringing up that draft story really reminded me of this. It's not Jets related, it's Eagles related, but Howie Roseman has been G, been with the Eagles for about ten years, roughly, and the only Pro Bowl player he ever drafted was Carson Wentz. I'll just put that there. Wow, that's crazy. 
Okay, and let's yep. keep it off the rails because <laughs> we do. We only have two more picks, so we're going to be fine until Emery calls it. Right, right. I, I confirm, confirmed with Emery the other day. Hopefully he's good, but uh, he's not called in yet. But Carson Wentz, I'm glad you mentioned that because I was going to mention him along with Zach Wilson. So what we do, and when, when I say we, I mean fans, we have this sort of insane recency bias where if a guy is coming off a bad year, we pretend that he's always been that player and, like, he's always sucked. So Carson Wentz is coming off a pretty bad season, probably his worst season. Um, mm-hmm. But we, we do all the excuses for Sam and all that. Uh, Wentz lost four of his five offensive linemen, and I don't think I can name one of his receivers. All of his receivers got hurt. 80% of his offensive yep. line got hurt. And he still threw 17 touchdowns to, like, 15 picks, which isn't great, but it's a hell of a lot better than with Darnold managed. But my point with Carson Wentz, is this whole level of competition thing with, with, uh, with, with Zach Wilson that we're hearing. I remember because I lived near Philly when Wentz was drafted, so I was sort of up to date on all the, the draft stuff because I was listening every day in the car. And I remember watching Wentz and thinking, this guy can play. Like all these people in Philly, like these big-name, big-time sports show hosts, where, you know, you can't take a guy out of a school like that. Who has he played? Who has he beat? He can't play. He hasn't proven anything. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, if I just look at him on film, the guy makes every single throw accurately and with mobility. So that's, that's my take on that. Yeah. Like, like Carson yeah, Wentz I, I was think, playing at an I, MVP level a couple of years ago after people saying he wouldn't be able to play in the league because he played at North Dakota State. It's about the player, not about, you know, the, the, what, what helmet the other team is wearing. So, sorry, I went yeah. off the rails a little long. Guys, two more picks no, and everybody's joining us. Yeah, I think uh, he might be on the line right now, so I'll just get my last pick in. Uh, Patty Fisher out of Northwestern, six foot four, two hundred fifty pound linebacker, plays like a man on fire. Not the fastest guy, but um, can do a lot of things as far as run stopping, dropping into zone coverage, um, and just being a thumper at the line of scrimmage. Dylan, who's all right, Dylan, pick? your last pick. I like that. I, I took Jalen Darden, wide receiver out of North Texas. You've probably seen his name all over the place, gaining the media buzz. He's a day one kick returner, and if he's five, wide receiver five or six on this depth chart, I think that's something the Jets have not seen in a while. So give me Jalen Darden. Yep, and I know we've both talked about Patty Fisher, uh, Dylan, big fans of his game yep. at the late day three oh, yeah. pick. And joining us now from Football Game Plan, uh, for which we are very grateful, he's joined us each of the last couple of years around draft time, Emery Hunt. Emery, how are we doing? I'm doing fine, man. I appreciate you guys having me on. Oh, listen, it's always a pleasure. We appreciate your time. We know you have a lot going on, especially this time of year, um, which is exciting for all of us, exciting for the draft Knicks. And uh, let, r- remind me, Emery, um, I picked up your draft guide the other day. Being that I'm in the U.K., shipping might take a little bit, so I might not get it for another few days. But uh, let fans know where they can go and get your draft guide before we roll into your evaluations here. Uh, they can find it at footballgameplan.com slash 2021draftguide. All right, guys, so go check that out. If you're following Emery on Twitter, you're familiar with his work. If you're not, you should be. Um, as I said at the top, we sent him a list of some, some players, um, and not to, not, to, not to squeeze to the front of the line with one of my guys here, but I, I had a very specific guy I wanted to ask about. Dylan, you even said to me, you got to have Emery break this guy down. Um, a few weeks oh, yeah. ago, I tweeted out that I, I could not understand why Cameron Bynum was not getting more love. Um, I didn't view him as, in, as a, a day one pick. 
but I thought he should be sort of middle rounds and in the conversation with a lot of these big name guys. He just hasn't been. And then Emery, I saw you released your, uh, your mock the other day or a week or two ago, and you actually had him in round one, which I was blown away, but I was like, I'm glad somebody is, is giving this guy some credit because when I watch him, I see a really good corner. So uh, if you want to roll through some of the names we gave you and, uh, and kick things off with, with cornerback Cameron Bynum. Well, Bynum has tremendous press skills, and he can press, he can play the ball, he has, you know, uh, the ability to take the ball away. Um, so for me, if, if you're able to score and also take the ball away on both sides of the ball, I want you on my team. You know, I want you on offense if you can score the ball. I want you on defense if you can take the ball away. Because those, those guys, to me, are, are more premium players as they are able to affect the most prized possession in the game, that's the ball. And so when you have a guy that, that shows good length, plays with good length, has good press skills, and has the ability to take the ball away, I don't I don't know why he wouldn't be talked about. And I thought he came off a very good week at the uh, Senior Bowl. All right, and that's, again, I, I, I wasn't understanding it. I didn't know who or why people weren't seeing it. But uh, I'm glad someone's giving the guy some credit. Um and so some of the names we, some of the other names we threw at you, I'll just recap a memory, and you can, uh, you can go through. Well, let's let's start with the quarterbacks. We all wanted to hear about the quarterbacks. So Zach Wilson, Justin Fields, and Trey Lance were the three passers we wanted to hear about. Um, how do you rank these guys? What do you like? What what do you what do you not like about them? Well, I have it. You know, Justin Fields number two, Wilson number three, and Lance number five. I have him right behind Mac Jones. Um, for me, Fields is, is more battle-tested out of those three. You, you've seen him perform in the biggest of games. Uh, he, I mean, if if uh, Olave runs the right route, then that ball hits him right in between the numbers, and they beat Clemson for a second time, you know. And so this guy has, has really played extremely well in the biggest of stages and has the upside because he only played one full season and this truncated season. I don't really count what he did at Georgia. He was more of a, a – of a gadget guy at Georgia, but he played one full season at Ohio State and his truncated season uh, this past year due to COVID. So he has played some big-time football, has protected the ball rather well, has done a, a lot of good things from a passing perspective, and has that Deshaun Watson-like mentality of, you know, this is a guy that is battle-tested and, and is a assassin, like nothing rattles him, almost like Jalen Hurts, where nothing really gets under his skin. And to me, more than anything, that's the most important trait that you want from a quarterback. I Man, I need you to be able to handle pressure, uh, whether it's pressure of the situation or pressure coming from the opposing defense. And I think Fields is unflappable in that regard, more so than Trevor Lawrence. So, to me, if, if the Jets are sitting there at two, Fields, to, I would make the choice Fields based off his mental makeup and what he can potentially do in this particular market. Uh, not every quarterback can play in this market, and Fields, to me, has the right temperament to play and thrive in this market. Well, Zach Wilson, um, I tried to tell people about Zach Wilson three years ago, but, you know, apparently he wasn't good three years ago and until, you know, some of these people that's out here now start tweeting about him because of uh, what, you know, what the Twitter highlights go, you know, that get spread around. Mm-hmm. It's also funny that because you see you, you, the same people that killed Andre Ware for his tweet during that Houston game or his comment during the Houston game about having Zach Wilson as his second-rated quarterback, people slaughtered him. Those same people are now all in on Zach Wilson as Q2. Mm-hmm. 
so Wilson has always been good. He he is Johnny Manziel like without the off field issues. I think people hear the word Johnny Manziel and think of the negative, but forget that Johnny Manziel was such a tremendous prospect. Now he may not be as explosive athletically as Manziel was. Manziel did rush for fifteen hundred yards in the SEC. Uh, that one season, but Wilson is pretty close as far as what he can do on both ends of offense. So he's, I think he throws well on the move. I think he's the best at throwing on the move, more so than the, uh, the other quarterbacks in this class, and, and definitely someone that I have a really good grade on as well. So I like Wilson. Um, I like the fact that he's a gamer. I like his 2019 game against USC. I thought that was excellent because um, people may look at the numbers last year and think that he didn't play well, but he was injured last year and still mm-hmm. played well and got in that upset against USC. And uh, Lance, to me, um, is an intriguing one because, you know, you have folks that they talk about Dwayne Haskins and they talk about his 15 games or so, um, and he didn't play enough at Ohio State. But in his 15 games at Ohio State, he set records, was a Heisman finalist, set NCAA records, set conference records. And now you're telling me two years later you willing to go all in on a guy that started 15 games at the FCS level in an offense that threw the ball a lot. And, you know, so in the one showcase game he had this year, he was kind of okay. So, you know, that's why I have him, you know, fifth out of, you know, the five quarterbacks. I'm not knocking his talent. I just think that he needs to go to Jordan Love route where you're going to have to really, if you're a team like Atlanta or someone that has a, a, a veteran that, Maybe you, you can move away from within two years. San Francisco will probably even make sense if you plan to keep Garoppolo uh, for this one year. Uh, but you can't expect a guy like Lance, I think, to come in right away and play. I think he really needs the benefit of playing in the preseason, a lot in the preseason, uh, being slow walking to the starting uh, lineup. So, you know, Detroit would be a good spot. Uh, Atlanta, like I mentioned. Um, San Francisco, I can understand. You know, if you're a team that New England, if you you know you some place where he can, he's not expected to be the starter, and they won't have a situation where the fans are calling for him to be the starter. I think that's the best route for him to go. All right, moving over to defense. This is a guy we just did our mock uh, 2.0. We do a couple a year. We don't go overboard, but we uh, last last time around, uh, both uh, both our other hosts here, Alex and Dylan, took Zaven Collins. What are your thoughts on him? Collins is an old-school inside linebacker to me, one that's, like, tall, rangy, but he can play all three linebacker spots. I just feel like he, he does a great job in, in, in pass coverage. He's fluid in zone. He could handle his own in one-on-one coverage. Um, so I like him in today's game because he's a guy that, that has length, has some good size, but plays well with his size, not awkward in space. He's a very good at, athlete. I think he does a good job in playing a run at the line of scrimmage or even, you know, covering the short area zone. Uh, so he's a really a do-all player that can play all three spots. I think he will make him out to be a pass rusher, but he's, that's not his game. Although he probably can rush the pass, I don't think he's a true pass rusher. I just think he's a good, big, athletic outside backer that can also play inside. All right. Now if, uh, if you could break down a couple receivers for us. I believe, if I'm not mistaken, these came from you, Dylan. Um, Elijah Molden and Terrence Marshall. Well, Molden is the uh, corner from from Washington. Yeah, yeah, one was the corner, one was the wide receiver. 
Yeah, oh, I'm sorry. I was thinking of the. I was thinking of the. I was thinking of the Elijah. You're thinking you of Elijah Moore. Yes, because you had two yeah. Elijahs. Sorry. Well, yeah. more. I like more. Um, and I, I've said more is probably someone that you don't have to take off the field. Um, you know, because he could even play running back if you want him to. Uh, so he's just in, in, you know, a guy that has good fluidity, really good control with his body, and runs good routes. Um, comfortable catching the ball away from his body, all that good stuff that you want to see in a receiver. And I'm always of the mindset that size is not a skill. So I don't care that he's 5'9", 185. I just like the fact that he plays uh, the game how you want someone to play it. You know, so, again, you don't have to take him off the field. Um, He can take handoffs if you want to get involved in a wide receiver run game. So anything you want him to do, he can do it and do it at a, a very good level. All right, and uh, let's see. That brings us to a couple guys left. Uh, guy I've mentioned quite a few times, uh, my favorite guy in this year's class, Kenneth Gainwell, who I'm a huge fan of, and then Carlos Basham. And with Basham, uh, we mentioned earlier, I, I see him as sort of a mid-second-round guy. Some of these draft simulators have him sitting there, you know, mid-late round three, which I, I, I guess anything's possible. But uh, what do you think of those guys, and do you think that, that Basham is a guy who would be sitting there in the third round? No, I, I, I struggle to see Basham sitting there in the third round with the way this league, uh, you know, covers guys that can get to the quarterback. I, I just think mm-hmm. that he's still so strong at the point of attack. You know, um, you know, if a team late in the first round wanted him, that I wouldn't be surprised there. So I think second round is probably where he's end up is going to end up going, um, and I think because he's able to affect the pocket and, and, you know, is so strong at the point, uh, he's going to have a lot of suitors, uh, you know, in in the back end of the first round and also uh, all the way through the mid part of the second round. And Gainwell, he opted out this year. You know, I I do like his change direction. Um, The fact that he does a good job in, in playing the shifty game, you know, I don't think he has the home run hitting speed, um, but he has, you know, decent enough speed to where he can make long runs. Uh, I, I just I think his role is, is ideally suited as more of a complementary guy at, at the second level as opposed to a feature guy. All right. I think that covers our list, Emery. I was, I was hoping if you could give us just a couple more minutes and, and throw out – give us two or three names of sort of, you know, the uh, the final day of the draft, those last few rounds – they just they they aren't getting enough talk. Everybody loves a sleeper. Everyone loves to be able to say they were talking about a guy that no one else had, and he and you know went on to have a nice career. A few guys that you look at as projected day three guys who you think could be legitimate players in this league. Well, you know, sticking specifically to the Jets, I you know if you're going to add one more wide receiver, why not go big? Um, and it's it's a guy like Michael Strawn out of. Charleston, who's 6'5", 225, ran, you know, high 4'4". You know, he opted out this year. Oh, they didn't play in the fall. They're playing right now in the spring. Uh, Mm -hmm. Charleston is, but but he didn't, you know, so obviously he didn't play. um, But he has outstanding leaping ability, man. He's tremendous. And, you know, one of these guys that could be a stretch vertical player or even Mm -hmm. an ideal zone threat, that good footwork. Um, And also, uh, you know, when you look at the backfield, uh, they, I love Pete Guerrero that they already have on the roster, but if they're looking to add one more, um, Shane Simpson out of Virginia is a, is a good one, and he came from Towson, uh, where he was outstanding, you know, on, on 
in all three facets, running the ball, receiving, and also special teams. So, you know, there are some guys there that, that the Jets can, can focus on. I think the Jets roster is actually uh, pretty solid right now, and they can, you know, they're not as far off as, you know, some talent. You know, it's all about them getting that quarterback position, you know, corrected. Um, and if they can get that stabilized, you know, the backfield is probably where they need to go. They, they probably need a bell cow, so it wouldn't surprise me to see them take someone with that second first-round pick that could be their bell cow if Najee Harris is there or uh, uh, the, the kid from Clemson, Etienne, is there, or even, you know, someone like a Michael Carter, who I like as a, as a, as a bell cow back, because I think they need someone that's a foundational player there. But, you know, there, there are some sleepers there, but I think this roster is, is pretty talented in my opinion. Yeah, I think uh, I think because of the year they just had, and because they're the Jets, um, the the thought process is that they're just terrible. And you know, we we talked earlier in the show, Emery, about what with what the Jets have done in free agency and adding Lawson and adding Rankins, and you're adding them to Quinnen Williams and John Franklin Myers. Um, and, you know, if Mosley comes back healthy in the middle of that defense, like they that front seven could be special, like legitimately special. And as they say, it all starts up front. If you can be that disruptive up front, it's going to make life that much easier on your secondary. Um, now, there are some questions on the O-line, but I think Denzel Mims can be really good. You know, we, we've talked about Davis. So, um, appreciate you recognizing the fact that uh, this team is not – they are better than their record indicated uh, last year, largely a product of, of coaching and, and not having guys like Lawson or, or Davis on the perimeter. So um, uh, let us get, let us know again, Emery, where to get that draft guide. I advise anyone to check it out. Like I said, mine will be uh, hopefully here in a few days. And uh, and we thank you always for taking the time to join us, Emery. Well, sure. It's a it's a PDF file, so you should already have it. And it's you know, oh, should it be in an email? Yeah, it's it's all it's all it is. Okay, it's I didn't realize that. I just it just said it was said it was ordered, so I was I figured it was being uh, mailed out. So that's great. Yeah, it's, it's just because it's six hundred something pages. You you know that's a if I was to print out a 600 page oh, wow. draft guy, I'd have to charge yeah. you guys, you know, like, you know. Cons- considerably more than $10. Exactly. <laughs> definitely so. But the cool part is that you get so much. It's the biggest draft guide out there, bar none. No one has the amount of information. No one has individual scouting reports on over 570 players. So every player has their own full-page scouting report. So it's the biggest, it's the most in-depth, and it's ideally suited for the fan, not only for the major prospects, but for people that will, you know, if you bought last year's copy, you would have known who Menashe Bailey is or Pete Guerrero is. Uh, you would have known about uh, Javelin Guidry, uh, the corner, or, you know, Saquon Hampton, who was with the Saints, who now is on the team. So that's the beauty of getting this draft guide is that it helps you understand the talent on the front end, but also helps you understand the talent that's on the back end of the roster, the transient part of the roster as you guys kind of sign guys and the squad, you would have known who Jeff Smith was two years ago. So, you know, that's the beauty about the draft guide. That's why I feel as though it's the best draft guide out there. And people can get that draft guide at footballgameplan.com slash 2021 draft guide. All right, Emery, as always, thank you so much for joining us. Much appreciated. Thank you, guys. Appreciate you. Take care. All right, so that was Emery Hunt from Football Game Plan, uh, shared some thoughts with us. And, and recognizing that the Jets aren't quite as bad as, as 
the national media. And listen, I, I think that I, as a Jets fan, I think a lot of us, me included, we, we can be uh, the worst. And we just, we just, this team drives us so crazy. I, look, look at my, look at my Twitter bio. I, I put in my Twitter bio, cannot be held accountable for anything I say within 24 hours of a Jets loss. Um, it might even be 48 <laughs> hours uh, of, of a Jets loss or a major transaction. Cause I lose my mind. I go nuts. And then I got to take a deep breath yep. and step back and say, all right, let's, Look at this a little bit less, with a little bit less emotion, and uh, and like we said earlier, guys, if they fix this O line, and if you know if one of these quarterbacks is the answer, whether it's Fields or Wilson, I'm I'm still I don't care what anybody says, I'm still Team Herndon. I still think Chris Herndon can play. I don't think a guy having eight bad games negates everything he yep. did before those eight bad games. So you're telling me this team is going to have Mims, Davis, Crowder. Herndon and a, and a quarterback, and I'm and we're assuming they're going to add a, a more dynamic back in the draft, and then with this front seven on defense we've talked about, I'm not saying this team's going to be in the Super Bowl, um, and they'll probably find a way to only win four games, but I, I just think I, I think things are not as dire as uh, as many people feel, and we are going to go back to the phones. Uh, we've got our buddy Rich from North Carolina calling in. Rich, how you doing, buddy? Hey, Glenn, uh, Southern Jet here for other people who don't know. Um, yeah, I just called in. I, I didn't forget you were on, and so I've just been listening and kind uh, of kind of just ramble a little bit here. I just heard you. I, you know, I really am so sick of the Herndon talk because, as you and I have talked, I, I, I don't understand the argument. The guy is good. If you have an eyeball, and I don't even say two, one eyeball in your head, you can see it especially when Douglas, in my opinion, told uh, Gase to start using him at the end of the year. That was a totally different player we saw. And I'm not talking about getting the ball thrown and caught to him, but he was tiptoeing on the sidelines. He was making catches, here's the key, away from his chest, which means confidence in a receiver. He is a good receiver. He will be fine. We don't have to worry about that. The other thing is, you're right, offensive line, we got to get it. It's going to be Wilson. You know, I know – I didn't watch the NFL Network today. I, I don't care if fields look good. The, you know, the key, as Steve Young said many years ago, the key to being a successful NFL quarterback is two things. It's, and you can't learn it when you get to the NFL. You have to bring it with you. Is being able to go through three to four progression reads quickly and on that third progression read, throw the ball ahead of the receiver still quickly to get yak. And the second thing you have to be able to do is to use that circle behind the center between the guards, which is one and a half yards each direction, to shuffle your feet to buy that extra half second of time. And Wilson, apparently, from what I'm hearing, is much, Fields is the worst at that from what I heard. Not saying he's bad, but he gets off his primary if he's covered quicker than any of the quarterbacks in the draft. I don't know if you've heard the same. I, I haven't Have heard you? that about the, the, the collective the, the, group. The, yeah, the the only real knock I've heard on him was the uh, was the inconsistency in, in terms of his accuracy. Uh, he'll you know he'll follow up an incredible throw um, with a with a what the hell happened there throw. And as I said earlier, Ooh, the, the problem I, yeah well the problem I'm having at the moment is uh, is finding full games with every throw. Um, but as I said, you know I watched that Sugar Bowl. That's the one full game I'm able to get my hands on. And uh, yeah. I saw 
I saw some wide open guys down the field being overthrown. Um, whereas with Zach Wilson, a lot less of that. Um, so yeah, yeah, and listen, yeah. I, I don't want this. And, I don't want this to be a thing where people think I don't want Fields on the Jets. You know, I, I want a good young quarterback. I think Fields is a good young quarterback. If the Jets feel he's so a better I. guy and they so take him, I. so be it. You know, take the better I guy. I don't think he fits the Shanahan scheme as well. That's all. And, and we'll I, see, I think Wilson, know, Wilson, with his progression reads, fits the scheme well, better. If I may chime in here, and thank you for calling in, uh, one of my favorite uh, followers. Um, so, you know, some of the research that I've done pertaining, you know, what separates all these guys, and I'm still doing my deep dive here. I still have more films yep. to watch. I'm not, you know, setting anything in stone as of yet. But as far as, okay. you know, I, I did some research in – and looking into the type of offense that BYU was running and the schemes in which yeah. they run and the things that were asked of Wilson. And then I, you know, I'm starting to read about the things that Ohio state was doing and the things that they were asking fields to do. And yeah. today, you know, Dylan and I were sharing some information about, you know, a lot of the uh, style of routes that their wide receivers are running are, are option routes. So a lot of what mm-hmm. goes into their dynamics is, what is the defense showing you? Um, you know, what kind of leverage are they providing? And depending on how they react to what you're doing, um, there's different choice routes that the wide receiver can, can change or alter depending on yeah. the particular coverage. So when you're running an offense to where you're waiting for your wide receiver to make his decision and you and your quarterback have to be on the same play, that's where I think people seem to say he's taking too long holding the ball, he's being too hesitant, when he's in the pocket, he's not decisive or uh, processing quickly enough. And you do see those plays come from field tape, but you also need to understand what is he being asked to do? What is his receivers capable of? And, you know, do we know the full dynamics of what the defense is doing and what the offense is trying to run on any given play? So there's a lot of context right, that, great. you know, goes into and certain right. things. So, you know, so, you're, you're, you know, we don't yep. know all that stuff. Not yep. like someone's drawing it out and say, okay, you know, this is going to be a mesh concept or this is going to be, you know, um, you know, just like Burt's or whatever it is. Like we kind of have to get a little help from some other, you know, film junkies there to kind of, you know, dive deep and see, okay, this is what the coordinator called up. This is what the defense did. And this is what he took away from what the defense gave him. So there's a lot of things that you have to go into when you're, when you're trying to, you know, look into a quarterback and, and observe, you know, what exactly am I seeing? What am I not seeing? And, you know, you bring up very, very good points and, and things that a lot of people seem to talk about when they're looking under these players, um, you know, under the microscope, per se. So, uh, but, but yeah, sadly, really, really good gotta... points at all. That's my two cents uh, on it. Um, but, yeah, go go for it. Yeah, I'm just saying, sadly, you know, you, like Steve Young said, you got to bring it with you to the league and, and, you know, like Mitch Trubisky put up a lot of numbers playing in that wide open offense. And he was the same thing as he wasn't given the opportunity in Chapel Hill because of what the system for Dora ran. And then when he got up to the league, he just, you can't learn it up there. And I think fields is very good, but I don't, I, it's just like Sam, the argument that we keep Sam, Oh, let's let him see what he does with, with a great scheme and great coaches. People don't want to wait. Well, you're going to, you're almost given the same argument with Fields as he didn't get the opportunity to go through the progression tree. Well, Fields, uh, Wilson did, and he did it correctly, and he did it quickly, and his third and fourth reads were leading the receivers to get yak. 
So I want the guy who can do it on day one because, as Steve Young said, he goes, you don't learn that in the NFL. Those are the two things you don't learn. You can teach a guy where to throw it. You can teach him better mechanics, but you don't teach him progression readability, and you don't teach him pocket awareness. Well, listen, uh, if I could uh, jump in and add my two cents. Yeah, go right ahead. I'm sorry. Uh, uh, to answer your earlier question, Rich, about the scheme fit, I think if you look at 49ers Twitter a little bit, the discussion has yep. been, is it Fields or is it Lance as the best scheme fit? So I would say a little bit of pushback on Fields not being a scheme fit. I think almost I any think quarterback we're play essentially play. can fit the Shanahan system. But, yeah, I, I think, think we're going to play putting hairs system. in terms of scheme. I think we're going to play Packers system more than 49ers. Right. Right. That's Thank what I you. assume as well with the height at wide receiver that we've been signing. I think that's more of the spread option that they're going to go. And yeah, I think I agree. Wilson fits it as well, but I think if you just look at comparing the scheme fits, if they can fit in San Francisco, there's most likely a chance that they could fit in a New York slash Packers style system. Mm. Yeah, well, listen, uh, this, is, this yeah. is the thing. It's it's going to drive all of us nuts because we're going to be talking about this for the next 28, 29 as days. Far as, a whole month to go, yep. Yeah. <laughs> as far as running back, as far as running back, right now. as far as running back, who you guys been liking? Oh, uh, well, I, I, I called in late. I called in late. Go ahead, I Alex. called in late. You know I like Carter. Oh, well, you know, I, I like to kick the, the bee's nest, as they say quite often on Twitter, if you haven't noticed. But, um, yeah, I know. You know you're good at it. Well, that's, in- that's, that's what you're good at. <laughs> we all have to have our thing, right? So I tend to, to kick the nest a little too often, and then when, when the swarm comes out, I'm really good at hiding as well. So anyway, okay. Um, I like Carter. I like Carter. You, do, does anybody really like great. Carter, or do you want you don't want to use? I the like pick the too early. Williams kid. Um, I think yeah. I think he's well, another guy guys. that is dynamic. You know, it's interesting because yep. I think a lot of people are starting to realize who Javante Williams is, and you might see yeah, more right. conversations about will he end up being selected before players like Harris. I think Etn is going to yep. be the first running back off the board. Um, just You're because right. I think people know him are more familiar with him from Lawrence and Clemson just being on the television, you know, every single and playing Saturday with all the five stars. For years. Yeah. Exactly. Yep. Um, so, you know, I like him a lot. Um, another guy out there that um, I think Dylan, mm-hmm. you're pretty high on him too, a Kylan Hill. Um, there's another guy that yep. I think uh, uh-huh. doesn't get talked about a lot. Um, and then, uh, well, you know, I, I only want to use I, a I, I second or like third round. Sermon. I, I like yeah, Carter. Game game well, exactly second or third round, I think Carter fits that fits that mold pretty well. He's he's currently my yeah. running back four, right behind Javante Williams and right above Trey Sermon. So I think at pick eighty six, I believe that's the second third round pick. I think if they can get him, what do you got Gainwell? Gainwell is what do you got Basically tied with Sermon, so he would be five or six. They're basically interchangeable, but they're fringe top five for me. But Carter's ahead of both of them just slightly. I think Gainwell is I think Glenn's guy. I, I wish we yeah, had Gainwell, a crystal ball. That's, that's we knew we could get Gainwell. I wish you had a crystal ball and knew you could get Gainwell at 86, don't you, Glenn? Yeah, you know, if you knew that's where any dream. of these guys were going to fall, I, I, I look at Gainwell as a guy that when I've done the mocks, I either take him at 86 or 107. Uh, sometimes he's not yeah. there at 107. But uh Right. I, don't, I, just, I just look at the way teams like to move people around nowadays and, and offenses are just so dynamic and, and, and predicated oh, on yeah. creating mismatches. And when you have a running back who can play receiver as well as he does, 
Um, he's gonna he's gonna create some mismatches and and be a, a big time player or has the ability. My problem, to be a Glenn. Player. My problem. My problem, Glenn, is I don't have the balls to wait to eighty six to get to get uh, Gainwell. So it's almost like I feel like I got to pull the trigger at sixty six on on Carter, uh, Gainwell. You know, one of those two because yeah, if you wait I think around you, you miss is going to happen. Yeah, yeah, I mean that. that that's when it comes down to a GM having a feel for how things are going to unfold. You know, you could end up taking a guy way too early, but, you know, as they say, no matter what position it is, but when you have a position like running back this year where where the top guys, it's a little bit top heavy, once one of yeah. them goes, teams panic, and then there's a run. So, you know, you might go yeah. however many picks, and like, okay, yeah. there's, still, there's still three guys on the board we like, and, we're, you know, we got seven more picks still with yeah. us. And then one goes, and another one goes two picks later, and now you're like, oh, Jesus. Like, this guy's about to be gone. And we need a yak picks. guy. We need yeah, a yak listen, Oh, yeah, guy. I agree. They do. They and do. But I, the running backs I, that the were drafted. The interesting thing, though, guys, uh, I don't know if you heard him, Rich, um, but uh, as Emery Hunt touched on, uh, with Pete Guerrero, like, that's the guy the Jets signed, like, three or four times last year. So, clearly, they okay. liked him. They kept adding him to the mm-hmm. practice squad, and then when they had to make room for some, So, he was the last guy but he was always the guy, you know? So clearly mm-hmm. when you see that with a player, someone in the building thinks highly of him and they just feel like, damn it, he can't do enough for us to justify keeping him around right now. But anytime we get an open roster spot, call that guy if he's available. And they kept bringing him back. Well, you know what it is with so, running backs in the NFL. If you got a good offensive line, all of a sudden the running back is good. And, well, exactly. Yep, and, you, exactly. Know, and, <laughs> you know, Guerrero, Guerrero's not a big guy, but he's, he is another one of these sort of of the Ty Johnson mold, smallish guy, yeah. but explosive runs in the four yeah. fours, um, you know, productive, small college guy, but uh, we'll, we'll see where that goes. But uh, you got anything else for us, Rich? We're about to wrap things up. Yeah. Yeah. I just, I just, I know we need to get it. We, get, we need to build the offensive line. My conundrum is, is do we, do we go after a center for the future first on the board or another tackle to throw on the right side to, to give anchors? Well, I mean, again, there's a million different I approaches. I like Menendez and I like Radoon. Yeah, well, that Dylan yeah, just took, uh, yep. or, or Alex just took him. Or no, Dylan took him. I took him at 34. Um, yep, I just yeah. took him at 34. Uh, if you listen back in your podcast app, you'll hear the mock draft 2.0, and I took Radens at 34, and I thought that was an absolute yeah. steal. I think he could yeah, be one of the swing tackles and then fans replacement yep. down the, down the uh, road. So Radens is definitely take, up yeah. here for me. With the first five picks, I would take one interior guy and one tackle, um, and that's what I did. I yep. took Creed Humphrey for the interior, and uh, and then I went ahead and wanted to address, you know, as we talked about George Fant and the you know the concerns with is he a long term guy? So I'm I'm not convinced he is. So Spencer Brown from Northern Iowa, I went with him at 86. So I would take two O line and the cornerback cupboard. The cornerback cupboard is bare. Yeah, well, I, I like Hall. I think Hall's going to be a good player. Um, yeah, you know, I'm just saying that there's a couple guys up front, and then it drops off bad. And, and I'm oh, halfway yeah. thinking the Jets, with their last pick, the Jets might pick the kicker from Miami. They might. You know, I've seen a few people say kicker with the final pick. I get, I just, well, there's I only think, one, uh, it's a Miami guy. I think I got too spoiled with every single year. You know, the Jets seemed, even under McCagnan, who couldn't do just about anything right, and as much as I defended him, oops. Um, yep. He always seemed to find a kicker <laughs> at the last minute, and it always worked out, you know, um, whether it was 
uh, it was three or four years in a row they had a different kicker and, and they were always good. Um, so yeah. you just kind of felt like, all right, just and, and it does. It feels like a decent kicker. I mean, a kicker is not going to be the difference between the Jets winning or losing the Super Bowl this year. No, not like, this year. You want year. you want a good one, but I just look at it. If you have a developmental receiver or corner who you think can be a player that you can grab with that last pick, I'd rather you grab that guy and then wait for a kicker to get cut. Um, or bring one, you know. If it's in the one fifties, I agree. If it's in the one fifties, I agree. But if I have a pick at two two hundred, if I acquire a pick at two hundred and oh, yeah, Dallas yeah. is still there. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. At, at the moment, yeah. You want to take one in round seven? I can live with that. Um, yeah. But uh, I'm 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 a bit, I like the developmental guys, and I it always which is surprising. There's even I think he signed, but like Randy Bullock was out there. Randy Bullock's a good kicker. Hmm. Like I, yeah, the Jets, absolutely. It was like there was no. You know, kicker is like the one spot where you can guarantee in the offseason there's going to be one or two guys you can sign who are legit players. And there were a couple out well, there. Well, the, like the reason I like Borigales from Miami, I'll, I'll say this quick, is because, the, you know, we get wins in, 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 at MetLife. And as you all know, Miami is always getting wins because of where it's located. They have a lot of wins there. People don't realize they're in their games. And I'm right. not talking 80 mile an hour, but they constantly have 15 to 20 mile an hour wins down there in their game. So the kid knows how to kick in the wind. Yeah, well, listen, like I said, I've seen a lot of people uh, predict a kicker with that final pick. Wouldn't be the worst thing in the world, but I'd, I'd rather they find a guy to sign. But, uh, Rich, I thanks so much for calling in. We appreciate it as always. I'll... Yep, you have a good one, guys. All right, thank you. Take care. Take care. Okay. All right, fellas, so Mach 2.0 is in the books, and uh, some good stuff from every hunt there. there. Like one? I, sorry? I have a little question. I, I just, you know, if we want to take a couple minutes here, uh, I know it's getting late on your side of the spectrum. Yeah, I'm, here, I'm Glenn, fine to but, keep going. If, if you guys want to keep going, I'm, I'm good. Yeah, I just, you know, Marlon right. and I yep. were talking about this um, not too long ago, and um, uh, t- earlier today, actually. Um, so, Glenn, I'll start with you first. Um, how do you feel about what Joe Douglas has done with this offense thus far? Has he done enough, or does he still have a lot more work to do? Well, yeah, I mean, at, at this point, it's just going to be about what, ha- what happens with the O-line. I mean, it's, it's too – I think uh, if, if the plan is – because I don't know if you guys recall, um, what was it? Late in the season, we heard that uh, – Cam Clark, even yeah. though we never saw him on the field, yeah. we know Cam Clark was getting some reps with the starters um, late in the year. And, again, yep. he's a guy that, you know, not just myself, I know that, you know, when he was drafted, um, you know, t- take it for what it's worth, but I know that Mel Kuyper said that he he's a guy that he projected as a starter. I thought he looked like a starter when I watched him. Uh, if Joe Douglas feels the same way and he's looking at it and saying, you know, everyone can sleep on this kid, but as far as I'm concerned, I got Beckton at left tackle. I expect Cam Clark to win that left guard job. I've got my center. Um, but if they go out and get a Creed Humphrey, they're basically two, in my mind, they're two offensive linemen and a quarterback, which, of course, is the biggest piece. Two offensive linemen and a quarterback away from being a very good offense. Like I said, I'm, 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 still, I'm still there with Herndon. I think the, the going out and getting two, you know, you now have outside receivers who are both six three six four? They can run. They're physical. They can, you know, they can, they can. They're going to win fifty fifty balls. 
you know, a 50-50 ball becomes a 70-30 ball with those guys. I, 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 I was watching some Denzel Mims the other day, and I swear, I, it was, I was just getting so mad as I was watching it, thinking, how did this guy, you're talking about a rookie who had no camp, no preseason, didn't, couldn't practice for however many weeks, had never played in an NFL game, and within his first couple games, he's putting up 65, 75 yards a game. Like his literally first exposure to the NFL with no practice, and he's a 65, 70-yard-a-guy game for his first three games. And then they just stop throwing on the ball. And I'm, I'm, watch, I'm watching all 22s, and I'm seeing all these opportunities where he's got these one-on-one matchups. And this, it's that, that's yep. the type of stuff where I say, as much as I hated Adam Gase, Sam Darnold is not blameless in what happened last year. Sam Darnold, I mean, really, the, two, the, two, the first two good games Mims had was with Flacco. Flacco saw it, used him right away. Then Darnold's first game, Darnold, was it San Diego? I, no, I think that was Flacco. Whichever game it was, Darnold's first game back, Mims has 65, 75 yards, whatever it is. And you feel like, all right, they're going to keep rolling with this kid. And if, let, it, let, him, let him get 60, 70, 80 yards a week for the rest of the season and get his feet wet. All of a sudden, it's one or two targets a game. And I'm just watching it thinking, you suck. You don't have a win. Well, at that point, they may have had one. You've got one win. Your offense is 32nd in the NFL. Just target Denzel Mims 12 times a game, please. What the hell else are you doing out there? You got nothing. So as far as I'm concerned, when you watch Mims, there's no reason to believe he will not be a legitimate threat. So now you pair him with Davis on the outside, Crowder in the middle with Herndon. If you get keep the quarterback upright, this isn't, you know, it's not as if this team is, is the same team of a few years ago where there was zero talent anywhere. Um, so Douglas has added a big-time receiver, traded down and still drafted a guy who I think could be a big-time receiver in Mims, uh, decided to keep Crowder despite, you know, a lot of people calling for his head. And I think I think the weapons are in place to now. He's, the big thing is going to be, and you know, like we all wanted Joe Thune. I, I heard his agent do an interview, um, and it sounded like you know. And I'm sure a lot of guys do this, but when you hear him spell it out, his his agent basically said, "We sat down and made out our list. We had the teams that we wanted to go to, and you know, then like the teams we were lukewarm, blah blah, blah all the way down to. And I'm sure this is the, I'm sure this is the one the Jets were on." You know, then then we had the teams who who damn well better bring every single dollar to the table. And it probably Joe Douglas probably was in a situation where he was like, it's going to take nineteen twenty million dollars to get a guard. Like, can I get a guy who's half as good as that for one, you know, one eighteenth of the price? And that's I'm I'm guessing that's the route he went. And if it works out, then he's a genius. And if it doesn't, then it's like, hey, you should have ponied up the cash. So has Douglas done enough? I'm going to say up to this moment right now, yes. Come draft time, if he doesn't come away with at least one high-level interior lineman and then another at least project like developmental tackle, that, that's a bad look to me. Um, and, but, and again, I've not, seen, I've not seen Cam Clark compete against NFL players even in a practice. Obviously, not the same as a game, but it's something. So if what they've seen, they think Cam Clark can play, and he shows up and he gets his ass kicked every Sunday, then then you got to say, 
you know, Joe Douglas, this is supposed to be your area of expertise, the offensive line. So if you drop the ball there, that's uh, that's a bad look. But up to this moment, yes, talk to me after the draft. What do you think, Dylan? Has the Jets done um, enough I'm, offensively I'm kind of, this year? I'm, I, I want to say yes, but I think the answer outside of Corey Davis is no. And I like the addition of Q and Cole, and I'm probably a little bit higher on Tyler Croft in the scheme than some other people are. But I think ultimately when you look at the offense last year compared to this year, sure, it looks a little bit better, but you're kind of hoping on potential. You're hoping on the potential of Denzel Mims, which we saw in flashes like Glenn just said. You're hoping on the potential of Cam Clark being a starter at some spot on the offensive line, and hopefully Joe Douglas just kept him inactive because of Adam Gase. And he said, hey, I don't want one of my sleeper offensive line prospects to get ruined by Adam Gase. So hopefully, you know, you're banking on that potential. But if you're just free agency alone, I don't think he did enough. But, again, that can all change in 30 days come draft time if he drafts, honestly, any any offensive tackle at this point or offensive lineman in general is probably going to get praise from Jets fans. I think and even if they don't play up to par, I think just taking swings at the offensive line position is going to gain happiness from the fans so you got to do something and looking at all our mocks we took two offensive linemen plus two or more offensive weapons so I think if if they stay on course and follow that that structure then I think that you could be looking at a potentially very good offense with the quarterback that's going to elevate the play of those around him I think there are five in the top five that can do that not saying to draft any of the five I think there's only two or three that you should really look at at number two, but you need somebody that's going to elevate the play around him because like, like Glenn just said, Sam, Sam Darnold was out and Joe Flacco came in and you saw the best games of Perriman and Mims' season right there. So you need somebody who's going to come in, step in, make all the guys around him look better. Even when the, the overall picture doesn't look great, the individual plays will stand out because of the high quality quarterback play. So I think, yeah, I mean, I can't be mad, but I can't be on Twitter at every single signing that isn't going to the Jets. Yeah, I, I think I'm kind of uh, lukewarm at this point. Um, you know, making off the top of the head four four additions, two wide receivers, a backup running back, and a depth at tight end, mainly a blocker. Not a lot has 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 improved. I think that the wide receiver group has improved. Um, Coleman, I'm not crazy about. Uh, Obviously, I did a show and I said that, you know, he's one of the people that I'd rather the Jets not pursue. So, go figure. Uh, And yeah, I think that they're putting almost a little bit too much on themselves to hit right on particular picks early in the draft in order to save grace here. Um, if Joe Douglas really thinks that he's going to roll out the same starting sub lineman that he had last year, then clearly we're dealing with a stubborn GM that's set in his ways, and these are my guys, and I'm going to, you know, force this into something productive. Maybe LaFleur figures out a way to be more productive this year with these five. I'm a guessing man, and I'm saying that he wants something a little bit more consistent and stable on the interior aspect of our guard positions. I think that yeah, we if, can go to battle with our tackles. 
I think our center's pretty good. Not great, but I think he's good. But I think that there's a lot of room to be desired as far as creating a dominant run game or increasing our pass protection with the current guys in-house right now. Yeah, I think if he goes to battle with the same five guys, it's not that he's stubborn. It's that he doesn't want this job anymore, and he'd like to get paid to sit at home. <laughs> he's um, asking to leave, yep. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. So there's, there's zero chance the same five guys come out. Um, I'm not even sure they'll be on the roster. I think, you know, part of the reason some of these guys haven't been let go could be because they just, you know, I, and I think I mentioned this on a show recently. I was talking to somebody, who, you know, their theory was, uh, you know, they don't have the re- their replacements yet. And I thought, well, they, you know, they, yep. they know they're not going to start. They, they know, like between Alex Lewis, uh, you know, Van Roten, nice enough depth pieces, spot starters, perhaps. Um, the thing is Van Roten, I felt Van Roten down the stretch played better than Lewis had been playing, but Lewis is slightly more versatile. He's played some tackle, you know, he played some tackle with the Ravens. Um, and do you want to have a guy, even if he's bad at tackle, if he's just somewhat functional in a pinch and you need him to step in there, does he have more value than Van Roten does? Um, but I don't, I wouldn't be surprised if both of them, uh, if one is cut and one is backing up come uh, opening day next year. Uh, now, listen, the Alex Lewis thing is a mystery because we have no idea what led to his yep. sort of weird suspension or whatever they called it. Uh, there were rumors that he blew up at Adam Gase and, you know, was, was fed up with playing for him or, you know, I don't know. I don't know. None of us know what the story is. But clearly something was was weird. But the Jets did say they were going to support him through it, which makes you think, uh, you know, maybe a, a mental health issue, whatever it may be. <clears throat> Pure speculation there. You know, this is the type of language teams tend to use when they want to protect the player's privacy, but make it clear that they're working with them. Uh, so, yeah, the, the mystery with Lewis at the end of the year makes you wonder, is it something that could get him cut? Uh, if it comes down to it between him and Van Roten. But, yeah, if it's Lewis Van Roten at the guard spots to open the season, um, that's, that's, that's not good at all. I think, as I said, I think you got to take at least two O-linemen. Um, and <clears throat> as much as I've said, the mocks are fun, but uh, I don't think any of us expect the Jets to only make nine picks. Um, they're going to deal oh, down no, at some good. point. They, they have too many needs. To, to go in there and, and only select nine players. But um, a month away, fellas, and then the speculation and the, the, the arguments can, can come to an end. And, like, and listen, like I said, um, we all it, – it's funny. We, I think we all do this. Uh, most fans I know who are as insanely and irrationally dedicated as we are, um, you do get attached to these guys that you pick. You know, as you said, Alex, we'll do the My Guy show. Um, and you get attached to your guy because you want to be right. You want to be like, oh, like yeah. that's probably a big reason why I'm such a, Cam, a big Cam Clark guy because I watched his game again. I would think I'm, I, I think I was watching it for the, the defensive end. I don't even remember his name now. And then I happened to see that they had the draft eligible lineman. I thought, oh, I'm going to be watching that game anyway. Instead of fast forwarding through the offensive schemes, let me just watch this guard for a little bit. Well, he's, he was playing tackle and they're playing Clemson. And this guy's beating the crap out of people. And I'm like, Jesus, this guy's a guard at what, Charlotte, wherever it was. And he's just, he's, he's throwing defenders to the ground. Like had like a stretch one series where like two or three plays in a row. 
Like you're following, you know, as a fan, you're following the ball. You're not seeing what's going on at the tail end on the O-line, but I'm just watching this guy. And he's slamming guys to the ground. And I was like, how is this guy playing at such a small school? And he matches up with Clemson, and he's, and he's kicking their asses. So right away, he's one of my favorite players in the class, and I'm watching him, and I'm, I can't even remember if I mocked him to the Jets, and I'm hoping they take him, and then they take him. And you're like, oh, well, there's one of my guys. So I, now I, I have this emotional thing. I got to root for him more than the other guy. invested more. Yep. Yeah, exactly, exactly. I want this guy to make it look like I know what the hell I'm talking about. Like I said earlier, Bill Parcells <laughs> and Bill Belichick don't know what they're talking about, but God forbid I don't. You know what I mean? Like we do to a degree. We we take this too seriously, but it's it's a hobby. It's a, it's a passion. Um, you know, if I do take a step back, I do laugh sometimes. I'm like, Jesus Christ, why the hell am I getting so wrapped up about a football team? Um, you know, like uh, like the old scene in the Bronx Tale, right? You know, tell Mickey Mantle your father can't pay the bills. See if he cries. You know. Uh, you probably, that's probably uh, nothing, something you haven't seen there, Dylan. Um, way over my head. Yeah. yeah, Alex, you, <laughs> you've seen a Bronx tale, right, Alex? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I'm with okay. You. Yeah. So, so I'll explain the scene to you, Dylan, if, if the listeners could bear with it. Great movie. First of all, you gotta, you gotta see Bronx tale. And uh, honestly, okay. for me, this changed my perspective on sports. I didn't take it quite as serious. Well, for a little while, then I came back in, but there's this scene, right? There's a mafia guy and there's this little kid. With the main character, he comes into the bar where the mafia guy is, and he's crying. He's, he's, he's like, really bummed out. And the mob boss says to him, what, what's the problem? And he's all, oh, what, what was it, Mazeroski hit the home run, whatever it was, something against the Pirates and Yankees in the World Series. Uh, you know, I read that Mickey Mantle was crying, you know, so the kid was all bummed out because Mickey Mantle was crying. And the, the mob guy laughs at him. He's like, you're upset because Mickey Mantle crying? He's like, go tell Mickey Mantle your father can't pay his bills and see what Mickey Mantle says. He don't care about you. Why do you care about him? You know, and it was like that light bulb moment <laughs> right. where it was like, Jesus, yep. you know, like, and, yeah, I was a young guy when I saw that movie and I was even more into sports then than I am now. And I thought, gee, I, maybe I should take a step back from time to time. Um, so, yeah, we do this draft stuff and it's fun, but uh, we do get emotionally invested in these players because we, we predict, I predict he will do this. And in the end, you want to be able to say, I was right. Um but, again, if, if Bill Parcells and Bill – Ozzie Newsom, like, widely regarded as one of the best GMs in history. I think his, his last draft, you know, he got Jackson. He, he did well. But he had a stretch of, like, three or four drafts where I heard him in an interview. And even he said – he was like, these last three or four years, they're not up to my standard. They're not good. And then I went back and looked. I forget what they were. But he, he, he had three or four drafts that, were, that I looked at and thought – I I would put some of my mock drafts up against these, and I bet they would do just as well, if not better. Um, so we love it; it's fun. But we got another month of speculation. We might even flip flop on the quarterbacks. Um, with Wilson, I just I don't know. Um, I'm gonna keep watching games. I, I, and and you know the the thing I said the other day, it's not hyperbole. Like I I was literally watching. I don't know. I, I watched a bunch of his games the other day. And I just got to the point where I was like, this guy, it, I mean, I, I hate to overstate it, but it, it was literally unbelievable. I was like, how many times am I going to watch this guy make a throw that, and, you know, as I said at the top, if, if I'd never seen the guy play before and I turned on, his, turned on the game and see him make two or three of those throws, I'd be like, Jesus, this guy's having a lucky day. Like, no, nobody yep. – no, nobody has four passes grazed the defender's fingertips and, and you know, hit their, the receiver in the hands. And he just keeps doing it. And like I said, every level, 
deep balls, intermediate, doesn't matter where on the field, doesn't matter the depth. He does it while he's scrambling. Um, and it's, it's, I've, I saw enough of it like early on. I'm like, okay, you know, Fields, Wilson, let's, let's take an objective look at this. And, and that's what I did. But I, I just saw so much of it from Wilson that I was like, I'm, a, I'm having a hard time believing Fields can do this because I've never seen anyone do it. And then I watch Fields, and yeah, he's making these unbelievable throws in terms of, of distance and accuracy. But I'm seeing these, literally these plays where, you know, those plays where the receiver has to stop, you know, in the middle of his route, and he still has time for the ball to come down because the defender is 15 yards behind him. And, you know, he catches up by the time the ball gets there, makes a tackle or whatever. But I'm like, okay. What one guy is is throwing the ball through a tire, and the other one's throwing him through you know a, a garage an open garage door, um, and that doesn't mean Fields can't do it. It's it's just a matter of with Wilson, I, I've right. seen him do it now enough times, and, and again it's projections. We don't know who's going to do what, but um, I mean I didn't mean to ramble on that long, but it, it it's draft time and we're uh, we're counting down the final month. Um, I, I did have a question yeah. for you, though, Dylan, uh, on your draft. Sure. How, I mean, I'll, you took him, so obviously you're confident with him. But I'll tell you what, man, hearing that Caleb Farley just had a back surgery, that, re- that scares the hell out of me. Like, I, I, oh, I, yeah. you know what? It's, it's early on. Like, I, I love, like, the Bryce Hall pick. I love taking a guy who's recovering from an injury where you're saying, I'm getting a second-round talent in the fifth round, fourth round, whatever. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, you're basically saying, I'm going to – treat this guy as if he's healthy full value first round on a guy who had, does, does it worry you at all? Oh yeah, it absolutely does. And I think the part of me that picked that pick was specifically thinking that Joe Douglas did his due diligence on the injury. And even if he's not a day one starter week one, whatever, I think if right. he thinks that he can come in and be better than bless Austin, which I think he can, even if he does have a bad back, then I think that that's totally worth the risk factor for the upside. But the main reason behind the pick other than that was because I read a scouting notebook that said 10 teams believe he's still a top 20 to 25 pick. And to me, I was like, well, that's enough teams for me to think that I'm not going to let him slip to 34 and hope that I can get him. I'm just going to take him now. So that was more the reason yeah. behind that one. I, I do think it's weird sometimes when you, he, when you, when guys get injured, but there are injuries that, Everyone knows, like, that, you know, 99 times out of 100, they're going to recover. And they say, like, yeah, oh, right. this is going to hurt his – this is going to hurt his draft And that stock. was kind of Bryce Hall. I'm I mean, like, why? Because, because we're not doctors. Like but from what I heard, it was, like, an outpatient kind of thing. He was in and out the same yeah, day. So, I mean, Tony I guess Romo take that surgery. for what it's worth, too. Yeah. Yeah, and, you know, that's the weird thing. I honestly hadn't heard anything about it. Um, and then mm-hmm. I, all of a sudden I noticed – like it, it was funny enough. It was because of TDN. All of a sudden, like every mock I'm doing, he's on the board at twenty yeah, three. And I'm like, so far. I'm like, this yep. guy is never on the board here. What's going on? And then I started right. seeing headlines: yeah. injury, injury, injury. So surgery. when I did, and I, I saw back surgery, and I was like, oh, that's it, off the board. Yeah. Um, gonna be so, so when I was Jones? doing the actual mock, or will he overcome? I was, I, I think he'll overcome it. And what was funny was when I was doing my mock draft, my original pick was Quiddy Pay, but Caleb Farley was still on the board. So I kind of tweaked it a little bit today. I was like, you know what? I love, I love Quiddy Pay. But I think if Caleb Farley is there, which he was, I think you have to take him at 23 if you even think he can start because he will be cornerback one going forward. Yeah, 
you're talking you're talking cornerback one. I would honestly, if, if you're talking about a position that's that important and you think he's going to recover, I, I'd I'd take a guy if he was going to miss the season. I wouldn't care if I'm getting a right. top yeah, five, exactly. top ten talent at a critical position. And, now, normally, you know, very good teams can afford to do that because it's easier. You know, like oh, we can sure, slash this guy; we don't luxury. need him this year. Right. Yeah, but if if that allows you to get insane value and you have the guy has to sit for a year, I can live with that. Yeah. I have no problem with that. Exactly. Um, so and then I'm DJ actually, Daniel Jeremiah had him in his top, I think five or six in his top fifty one point oh. I know he's on top fifty three point oh, and he's slid down to about seventeen. But he was at like number four, five, or six on his first top fifty board. So hey, give me that upside all day. I think. Yeah, like I said, if he does the due diligence on the injury and he thinks that it's worth it, I absolutely say let's go for Caleb Farley. Yeah, I'm I'm going to read up a little bit more on that surgery because um, that's a good question. Yeah, that, that's I just heard it was similar to Tony Romo and another uh, high high known quarterback, but I couldn't remember his name. But it was similar to the Tony Romo surgery. Yeah, I, what 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 we might do, depending on you know who they take and injuries and stuff, I try not to bother any of these guys. But from my from my old medic days, um, I am friends with a couple of orthopedic surgeons, orthopedic surgeons, and some some docs who might be able to call in and offer some clarity. Um, but that's oh, just anything cool. complex. You know, we we might be able to just you know pull enough. Uh, you know, because these guys are super busy as it is, and they're not huge sports fans. We're like, hey, you want to call into my podcast? Mm-hmm. They'll be like, yeah, why don't you uh, lose my right. phone number? <laughs> Throw my phone number away, you, you, you dumb sports nerd. Um, <laughs> before, we, yeah. uh, before we sign off real quick, I had a little bit of news that kind of changes the Jets' off-season timeline a little bit. We were supposed to start camp on April 5th for all new head coaching hires. They were allowed to go do an off-season program on April 5th, which was two weeks before the other teams, and they – now change that just for this year, and everybody's going to be starting on April 19th. So the Jets will no longer have that extra two weeks of off-season workouts that they Come would have on, over man. the other teams. <laughs> yeah. So. Come on. Ridiculous. Hey, West Camp Ridiculous. days for Darnold, right? Yeah, well, <sighs> they might just tell him to stay home. <laughs> if he's still around. But I mean that's that, that's the whole about that too. That's a whole other discussion to though. For Sam. <laughs> <clears throat> but listen, you know, uh Ian Ian Rappaport like we all said I don't know where I don't know where you guys stood, but I felt like based on the way Darnold played, they they probably would be looking to get in a three or a four for him. It was the the Ian Rappaports and the Albert Breers of the world who were putting ideas of a first round or a second rounder in my head. Um, and you're like, well, these guys are insiders, yep. and they know. What the hell do I know? Right. And now we're right. hearing what Kimberly Martin said, what three or four GMs said, you know, maybe a, maybe a conditional fourth, maybe a third. Yep. But there's no more talk Somebody of first or second rounder. And I heard sixth rounder, and I was just ready to turn my phone Ugh. off. I was like, if this is how bad his value has diminished, uh, just let him walk for nothing at this point. Like. <laughs> Yeah, that's I, – I still – I said – I think I said I, – I could be making up a lie. I'm going off memory here. But I thought I said that I, I thought they could get a three or a four for him. But anyway, we will see. I think we'll sign good. off for now. Uh, that, was a, that was a great show, guys. Uh, we'll do it again next Good week. Show. Take care, Jet Nation. Let's go, Jets. 
Thanks for listening. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at Jet Nation Radio. Glenn is at AceFan23, and Alex is at NYJetsLife24. Until next time, go Jets!